Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 112, Little Miss Time Bomb. This week we're discussing the Doctor Who 50th anniversary special, The Day of the Doctor, and season 2, episode 4 of Angel, Untouched. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So, Day of the Doctor. Here it is. Here at we're last. Finally, we're, we're finally here. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's much to talk which, about, though, which is kind of a shame. No, we can pretty much skip over this episode. Yeah. It's been, Not it's much been happens. With Angel. Um, so, actually, I want to... I wanted to just point out, we talked a lot about the production stuff last week, yeah. um, but I, I like that they used the classic Doctor Who mm-hmm. opening. Yep. Um, I That was like the first of many surprises yes. <laughs> for me in the episode. Um, well, and that, so, that... Nice little touch. That uh, reminds me that um, I'm, there are many little references and touches like that, and far more than I'm sure we'll even have time to talk about, um, and probably some that are more relevant to classic series discussion than to the new who one. So sure. I'll just mention that um, there is, there are lists out there of like all the Easter egg references in this episode, which I'll find one or two and link them in the show notes. Cause it's fun to kind of go through and see all the stuff like that, that are all those little tiny things that you only really get if you know right. every detail. But um, that's a good one is that kind of, right. yeah, like the black and white, original music with that kind of psychedelic, you know, background and then, you know, close up on the police jo- the police box in the junkyard by the school, which is where it, the series started. So again, uh, okay. we're kind of placing it in the context of, you know, making yeah. as many homages to the, the history of the story as we can. Um, yeah, which of course makes sense. I mean, it is like, I, I think one of the risks that you have with something like this. And and we can probably talk about this even as we go through the plot and stuff. One of the risks that you have with an episode like this where you're celebrating an anniversary is that it could become very new who centric. Yes. Um, and, and maybe even to some people. It is. <laughs> they could feel that way. Yeah, like maybe yeah. they do feel it is, especially given the storyline of, the time war Mm -hmm. which is a new who we talked about how that was a new who uh uh creation you know invention or whatever and and how um i mean really it takes them 10 years to get to the point where they're able to integrate it with the classic Mm -hmm. story through the night of the doctor and now day of the doctor yeah um i being someone who's never seen classic who Mm -hmm. feel like they did a decent job of that. (laughs) Um, But that's also admittedly coming from a point of ignorance. So I guess, I guess even before we get into, we're already going off of our plan of, (laughs) you know, talking about the story. Well, you have to start with some overview, I think. But before we even get into that, I'm, I'm just curious if you know about any of that reaction Um, in particular. I mean, I, 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 I was at least somewhat aware because I know you were watching this. This is the point where you were watching live. Yeah. Um, and and I don't know that we had started talking. I think we had started the podcast already. Had, had we started the podcast yes. at this point? I yeah. can't even remember. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah. So this was a point where, like, 
I was aware of stuff and actively avoiding information yes. about it. Yeah. So, so I, I'm somewhat aware of the reaction, uh-huh. you know, to some degree, but obviously I have also tried to maintain yeah. a, a level of ignorance about it. So I, I would love to hear what your thoughts are at this point yeah, um, about um, the reaction and stuff. I think definitely for like, you know, there is that kind of breed of hardcore classic fan that definitely I, I know there are people who would feel that, you know, um, much as the five doctors sort of lampshaded, you know, oh, it's just going to be Matt Smith and David Tennant. And all the kids go, yay! And all the classic fans go, oh, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's, you know, it, you know, all the doctors are involved, but, you know, they're not really. It's like archive footage and, you know, um, you know. So there is that kind of aspect. But on the other hand, I think most reasonable people realize that there are kind of you know, practical issues with that, like, you know, certain aspects of not all doctors being alive or much older, sure. you know, and I think there is a the thing of, do you, would it really be better to have doctors who are clearly not the same as they were when you saw them, you know, and I think that'll be true even for these young ones, like, there'll be a time when it's, you're not going to want to see an old Matt Smith play, you know, his same old doctor like even even david tennant looks older than he was when you can see the difference of you know Mm. when he played it you know and there's a certain element of there's a limit to how much i think you can bring them back before it starts to feel kind of it breaks you out of the story a bit um and you can kind of get away with it like they did with peter davison saying like when he met the 10th Doctor, they say, oh, it's because we're in, you know, it's trying to compensate for our different time zones, so it makes you look older than you really, you know, like, you can kind of fudge it a bit, but, you right. know, or like with what they do with the curator, which I think is fantastic, but we'll get to him later, but, um, yeah. but at the same well, or time, even like, there's this, like, River Song, when she, like, yeah. in a Let's Kill Hitler, she's like, oh, I'm just gonna slowly age myself myself backwards yeah you can kind of make little winks to it and get away (laughs) with it to a certain extent but on the other hand i think moffat does a good job of bringing in the classic series in spirit but Mm -hmm. not feeling like he has to tick the box of everyone has to make a guest appearance or we have to just do the roll call of you know guest stars of you know to use another, this hadn't occurred to me before, but to make an analogy to the last episode of Seinfeld, um, which I really like, but I know I a like lot of people hate. And the reason they hate it is that it tries to just do the roll call of mm-hmm. every guest star the show has ever had. And, sure. you know, to a lot yeah. of people, there's a legitimate criticism there of that's not really a story. That's just a greatest hits compilation. Um, I really like that episode, so I'm not knocking it and i think there are ways to do greatest hits that are really good but i think what moffat does makes for a better story here he finds a way to you know make homages and bring everyone in without it just being you know a mess um i think he actually achieves something really kind of delicate um so and i will say that you know classic grumbles aside um, 
I think this episode was and is really <laughs> successful. Like, Doctor Who fans are notoriously picky and hard to please and will tell you what they hate. Um, and sure. I don't know... As our fans of many As our fans of many genre shows. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know that... You know... It's hard to argue that this is the best episode the show has ever done. I mean, there may be people that think that. I don't know that that's a universal opinion. But mm -hmm. definitely this was very popular. And actually, in the last couple of years when they've had the polls with fans of what are the best episodes, um, like they redid the, the magazine poll, and then you know there was that other one with one of the websites, this episode was voted the best. Yeah, like so to me what that says is it doesn't say that this is universally objectively the best episode ever but it does right. say that people really liked it and that mm -hmm. upon you know there is that fear of the 50th anniversary is going to come out and everyone's going to hate it <laughs> and this is definitely not what happened like i think by sure. and large they did a really good job um it also tells me that Moffat is really good under pressure because to me, the hardest things he ever had to write were the introduction of the 11th Doctor and the 50th anniversary. That yeah. that's the two points where the deck is just absolutely stacked against him. And those are the two in his tenure that I think he absolutely sort of knocked out of the park, you know, that sure. he kind of you may have your own quibbles with these episodes, but in my opinion, objectively, they're really, really strong episodes. So right. um, I think for the most part, this is a very well-received, and I think it deserves to be well-received, so. Yeah. No, and I, I, again, admitting my ignorance of um, Classic Who and whatnot, um, yeah, there's... I felt like there was enough in here that made me, as someone who wouldn't pick up on a lot of those Easter eggs, think about the implications of, you know, how this affects not just the Doctors that came after the Time War, mm -hmm. but the Doctors that came before it. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was really, I thought it was really well done. So. Yeah. But I have, so like, I, I mean, I have two, uh, so I have a cousin who married a guy from England. And I have a best friend who married a woman from England. Mm -hmm. um, now, my cousin's husband uh, was a big classic Who fan mm -hmm. and can't stand new Who. Okay. So I'd be curious like, to, to find out what too. his yeah. reaction yeah. is here. Well, and um, that's the curse of Doctor Who is we're all most in love with the point where we were introduced to the show, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It, and for some people, that love can be a hard thing to sort of overcome right. and and accept other incarnations so it's that's fair enough i guess yeah yeah definitely i mean we had a whole conversation about star wars and yeah. uh you know canon and stuff where i or well this conversation wasn't about star wars but i kind of made it into a star wars conversation at a few points because of that very same thing like it's i love the old you know what they're calling legends now, you mm -hmm. know, which used to be the expanded universe and that kind of thing. So I can understand that. I guess um, at the same time, I'd like to think that like me personally, that I'm, you know, uh, thoughtful enough that I can at least go back and say, okay, there are some good things about this new stuff too. Yeah. Um, and so would hope that that same, 
thing that same sort of feeling applies to those who love the classic stuff and saw this and maybe weren't completely happy with it but at least could acknowledge that there's some good parts to it yeah so um if not maybe we can try to convince someone <laughs> uh here all right That's i the goal. so still like in the opening 10 seconds or whatever yeah um we haven't got we get... past the the opening credits yet but go ahead all right um we get this great quote from Clara. Mm. Um, by, well, Clara quoting Marcus Aurelius, I guess, uh, of the waste no waste no more time arguing about what a good man should be. Um, well, and then, and, like, and then be one. And right, well, yeah. Um, but I like the I like that part of it. The waste no more time arguing um, mm. because that's. And we'll get to the ending, mm -hmm. but I, I kind of said to you before we started that, like, in a way, Clara's really the hero of this episode. Oh, sure. And and because of that, the hero of Gallifrey. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's, you know, like, there there is a, you know, if from the beginning of New Who, we've been getting that the Doctor has been the destructor, you know, destruction monster, whatever, who killed everyone on Gallifrey. Like, <laughs> yeah. Clara is the basically their savior yeah. Yeah. in this episode. Even though, like, the technical stuff and, like, whatever happens from the Doctor, like, from the philosophical, which makes sense, you know, she's quoting Marcus Aurelius, who was, yeah. like, you know, Mr. Ph philosophical Emperor guy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, she's she's the one who who makes it clear to the Doctor about you know what's right yeah what not only what's right but what's changed and yeah. and pointing out doing the thing that i think is what we've come to realize companions do is point out the things to the doctor about himself that he can't see mm -hmm. and so um i just i like that opening quote um a lot and think it really really fits well with how she like I, I, the thing that I like about it is like, she's obviously taught, you know, what a good man should be. Like you're prompted to think about the doctor, uh -huh. but I think what I like about it is that it prompts, if you're paying attention, it prompts you to think about her and yeah. her role and, and how she, um, you know, how she's the one who's advising and pointing the, you know, out what, what the doctor should be and getting him to stop sort of, arguing or at least like right. debating with himself or whatever you know um right yeah um yeah a couple things there um that would definitely be my point too is that her role in this is definitely it's about her in particular as kind of you know what clara brings to the table as a person and definitely she ends up as this you know hero of you know the day basically but um also what you said about that's her role as companion that you know she is kind of emblematic of i think it's important in the end that when the doctors make the decision not to use the moment that it's at the prompting of a companion that yes it's their decision and yes they figure out how to save the the, the people but it, it it's very important to me that it's the companion over there shaking her head saying no you know don't do it you know and i think like that's sort of there's a lot in this episode to me which is sort of on the mythic register like you're not just talking about what happens in this episode you're talking about like the sure. whole the story from a more overarching mythic point of view you know um mm -hmm. so 
uh, and yeah, a couple more things too that waste no more time arguing. And I love that that's basically what this episode is about is arguing with yourself what a good man should be. That's all he does is, you know, yeah. he, this is what I'm like when I'm alone. I sit here and I worry and debate with myself and have these yeah. little, and that he's constantly, this is just a externalization of the constant internal process of what goes on inside him yeah. of all of these different opinions and ideas trying to figure out what to do and in conflict with himself and everything. Um, but also sure. the other thing too is you'll notice that shot through, it's sort of like she's writing on a blackboard or a whiteboard and we get the shot through the words and you see her erasing it. So she erases all but the words no more. Um, so it's waste no oh, more yeah. time and there's big and bold no more there on the screen for you. So mm. it kind of ties in. I didn't even the, think I picked up picked up on that. So, so. that's nice too. Um, there's a lot in there that kind of it's telling you a lot about the story in the first, like you said, in the first like five seconds of the episode. Mm -hmm. So, um, and also the the you know you brought up the arguing with yourself. Of course, there's sort of the the parallel of that with um, uh, Kate Stewart. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And 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 you know the. Um, zygons or whatever that that's true you know that that you get this idea of like a lot of the problems in the world are are based on our own i may, maybe indecisiveness isn't quite the right word but our own sort of um contentiousness with our own thoughts and and you know um ideas about what we ourselves should be doing mm -hmm. um rather than just saying just do the right thing. Just right. go out and, and stop arguing about what you should do. And just, you know, it's sort of a, it's sort of a, you know, along the lines of the philosophical take of everyone kind of knows what the right thing to do is. Mm -hmm. It's just that most people hem and haw and don't actually do it until it's too late. Yeah. Um, so that's true. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that as the duplicates as kind of versions of the same person, but that really works too. Um, well, it works because when <laughs> we're getting way out of whack and story-wise here, but I think it works because they they change it so that nobody can remember right. if they're human or Zygon. So it's it, it when you clear away the cruft, when you clear away the idea of sort of the tribalism that yes. people cling to, um, we're all just living beings who are trying to yeah. live, you know, and keep living, and so. When you when you get past that element of it, um, of you know, I'm an I'm a human and I'm a Zygon and right. we have to fight because you're a monster. Uh, once you get past that, it becomes more of an idea about well, none of us really wants to die, so why are we in this situation anyway? Right. Yeah, that's always been the kind of key part to me is is that idea of the key to negotiation being not knowing what side you're on. So if you eliminate the kind of us versus them mentality um, and it becomes, okay, what achieves the best good for the most amount of people, um, mm -hmm. you know, then suddenly you can empathize and identify, mm -hmm. which I think is kind of, again, you know, there's a stupid argument out there that the Zygon plot is not important in this episode. And I think it's bull because that's sort of, what the show is about, right? I mean, I know the doctor fights monsters and, you know, but really, I mean, I think for the doctor and the companion, this is a show about 
empathy and about identifying with the other, you know, and what are, what are aliens? Yeah. What do you mean by people? Aliens, you know, right. we're right. all just people, you know, um, and, you know, you look time lord, you look human, we're all just aliens to each other, and it's about what achieves the most amount of good for the most people, um, which is sort of what they get at in this episode, I think. So Well, and I, and I, think, I think you get the complexity of that with the Doctor. Um, you know, okay, there's this huge alien with big sucky things who is surprisingly good kisser too. Like there's that, <laughs> yeah. there, there's that, he knows that. you know, yeah. there, there's that weird sort of like, yes, it's a monster, but also like he's kissed it before. Right. And like, like the 10th doctor says that even before, before like it's Elizabeth, Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Kisses. Him. So it's like, like there's somewhere in the doctor's history, there's experience with, yeah. So, so yeah, it is this idea of we're all just folk and, and, and not to say that the Zygons aren't being menacing because they are, they're clearly trying to take over the earth and whatever. But, um, yeah, I don't, I, I certainly like, you need to have some sort of plot there to get the doctor, uh, together with himself in multiple mm-hmm. ways because, and, and we talked about how there's sort of, there's sort of a, three ringed uh circus going on here mm-hmm. um you have sort of the the frame of the 11th doctor and clara and and the zygon plot but there's also the 10th doctor mm-hmm. sort of stem of that mm-hmm. same plot which is how they you know come together or whatever um because we find out that it's you know this zygon plot has been in the works for what 500 years right. or 400 some odd years and and so it's not like it's not like he just uh you know it's not like like you have to have some sort of menacing thing but i think the other thing is that how you know why it works well is because you have the shape-shifting aspect of it Mm -hmm. you know where you have these aliens who are who can theoretically be anything and not that like we haven't seen sort of shape-shifting aliens before but like maybe 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 it doesn't matter whether we call them zygons it does matter that they you know are acting like humans mm-hmm. and you know trying to take over the human world and that kind of thing so i, I i'm curious I, I would be curious to see what a more in-depth argument would be for that and maybe there yeah, isn't it, an it, in-depth it's never argument. made particular sense to me i mean i think the other part of that so not only is the Zygons themselves and what their plan is relevant, you know, apart from the whole, how you get to the idea of the orb and the cup of soup and freezing Gallifrey. So there's that whole plot device, which is kind of important in the end too. Um, But also I think bringing in the 10th doctor as you, I don't think you could just do the story with the war doctor and the 11th doctor. I think you need a three point you know, at least, um, you need that point along a spectrum, that this has to be a process, that this has to be, I was, I've been thinking about something for a certain amount of time, and it doesn't just go from A to B, there have been intermittent steps along the way, so you need at least one more bit of the triangle in the middle for that to make sort of emotional sense to me. Um, Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely agree, and I think, I mean, considering that, 
I mean, okay, so we had the Ninth Doctor, but he wasn't around very long. Like, even even in the... It's not like with, with the Tenth Doctor, where there are periods where he knows he goes off, and apparently it's for quite some time, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that he kind of goes off and does stuff. Yeah. We don't ever really get that with the Ninth Doctor. We kind right. of... I, I think the implication is that with the Ninth Doctor, we see most everything that he does. Sure. Now, there might be... There might be periodic right missing bits or whatever where yeah. where like he and rose go off together or whatever right. but there's not like a lot like rose is still basically the same age at the end right. of the ninth doctor's yeah reign or whatever right. um and and or tenure i guess uh would be a better way to say that uh and so like and there isn't a lot of like you get some time rewinding or changing in both the 10th and 11th doctor that doesn't happen with the ninth doctor. Mm -hmm. So like, I think even like in the grand scheme of, of the doctor's life, like the ninth doctor is pretty much kind of a blip on the screen. So, (laughs) so it, it, it makes, it makes a lot more sense to have that point be the 10th doctor because he's the one where you have sort of that halfway between the war, the time mm-hmm. war, and the 11th Doctor where he's become. And we also know that the 11th Doctor has been a couple hundred yeah. or more years yeah. uh, alive. Give or take, you know, calculating in his ability to lie about his age, which yeah. we get sort of explicit acknowledgement of in this episode. Um like from him, right. not just from right. I, like I've, another a third party. I've forgotten if I'm lying. That's how old I am. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, we know we've heard River say basically that same thing, but we yeah. <laughs> like he's never sort of admitted it until now. Yeah. Um, so we don't. I mean, we don't know exactly how long, but we get like, you know, um, they say like 400 years is kind of yeah the guess a nice round that, number. Yeah. That yeah. that they're pulling out. You know, between there. So, um, you know, I like that we get that idea of the journey because, like, each each doctor, when they're sort of when they're in the Tower of London, and again, we're going way out of order here, but whatever. <laughs> whatever. Um, when they're in the Tower of London there, they, um, the story is out of order. So you're, yeah. you're out of order. Uh, <laughs> this you know, whole podcast is out of order now. This whole podcast is out of order. <laughs> when they're in the Tower of London there, trying, you know, and they're talking, um, about the, the number of kids, mm-hmm. right? When when the war doctor asks, how many, you know, did you ever count how many kids there were on Gallifrey that day? And Matt Smith's like, no, I don't know. I don't remember. 11. It's yeah. like, I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. And, okay, rule one, the doctor lies. Right. He, maybe he does remember, maybe not. But at least he's not admitting that he remembers. Like, there's some, yeah. there's some aspect, whether he actually remembers or not there's some aspect of him that has put in that has tried to put, put it past, past him. yeah you know him like he's not thinking about it anymore yeah or not actively or actively trying not to think about it one of those things is true yeah um whereas you get the tenant doctor 10 mm-hmm. <laughs> uh you know saying right off what the number is yeah. and and like he's surprised that Eleven has right, and kind of appalled that he could ever yeah, forget and kind this. of appalled. Like, like how could you forget? And it's it's like that whole conversation. I feel like is is kind of you know 
one of one of the many points of this episode yeah. um, because you're getting you're getting that progression like you were describing yeah. you're getting that spectrum there sort of in a minute that that I think just happens there's there are obviously moments in everyone's life that are you know capital D defining moments yeah. you know where like I mean there are certainly points in my life where I can point to something and say you know what I started thinking differently about things on this day at this time when this happened, um, you know, sometimes those are big things that everyone, you know, people who were alive when Kennedy was assassinated can yeah. remember, you know, where they were that day. Um, people who were alive when nine 11 happened can remember that kind of thing. So obviously, you know, something like the time war. Yeah. Again, the doctor's the only one who was sort of around for that and can remember it, right. but you're not going to expect that he's going to forget yeah. details like that, especially, when there's such big parts of what it was. So Right, it clearly means a lot to him that he so did this, yeah. At at the same time, even though you can remember that stuff, that doesn't mean that your life for everyone, maybe there are some people who sort of stagnate at that point. But for most people, like even though you can remember your feelings and your thoughts and your emotions and even how that particular event, whatever it was, whether it was a big, you know, terroristic sort of event or whether it was something relatively small in the grand scheme of things, but is big to you and your life and how it shaped you. Like that doesn't mean that you stick at that point, you know, 10 years down the road, you're still going to change. You're still going to have new experiences. And if you're, if you're always stopping with that point, then that's also like, you're not living in a way, you know, that, so I feel like, and that's not to say that, like, it's okay for Eleven to have forgotten the number of children, but I think, and we've even talked a little bit about this in the past, but I think it, it shows, too, that it's not, it's still a defining moment in his life, but it, but there have been other moments that have helped shape him after that mm-hmm. defining moment. So, yeah. like, so, like, yes, there are, there are reasons he acts the way he acts now because of that and you know reasons that others react to him because of that but there's also an aspect of him being uh a different person because of all the stuff that has happened after that happened too like and of course we get things like you know the reference to Trenzalore at the end Mm -hmm. where that obviously is another sort of clearly defining moment for him right. of visiting your own grave that yeah. the 10th doctor just can't imagine because he doesn't experience it. Right. So, um, yeah, anyway, I, uh... I feel like I had a bigger point, than all this, <laughs> but I, I kind of felt like I just wanted to say all that because I, I do feel like there's this, like, like almost like you have to handle the time war in some way at this point. And 50th anniversary is a great time to do that, yeah. but it's also like, like, it's also pertinent for sort of the growth of the, the Doctor as a character right. himself. Um, yeah, I love, I want to kind of point out, um, I love the kind of contextualization of the 10th and 11th Doctors as the man who regrets and the man who forgets. I think, I mean, there's something kind of, it rhymes, so that's nice. Um, but it's true, too. Like, if you think about them. Yeah. And, you know, it can be easy to kind of say, like, well, you know, the Doctor's, are different because well the actors are different and oh maybe Moffat is you know Russell Davies was obsessed with the time war and Moffat's not interested in that as much but really if you look at this 
I think what it's showing is, no, actually these are really well-defined characters, you know, and the 10th Doctor mm. was much closer to that, you know, and the 9th Doctor too. I think they were much more driven by the immediate guilt and inability to sort of deal with the trauma of what they did. Um, and, you know, and there's something, and I think too, it doesn't, it doesn't vilify or exonerate either one of them. Like, there's something mm. really nice about the fact that the 10th Doctor remembers the number of children, you know? But also there's the sense of he can't get past, he can't move on. All he's done is stick in this, you know, kind of, we've talked about his inability to sort of get over that kind of well of self-loathing, you know? Um, and that that can mm. be, cause him to be sort of self-destructive at times. Um, and then with the yeah. 11th Doctor, I think there is a kind of sense in which Yes, he's grown. He has kind of learned to cope a bit more. He's a bit older. He's maybe put things in a wider context. But also there's a sense in which it's good for him to sort of remember again that, you know, we've call, said that the 11th Doctor is at times a little bit aloof and a little bit maybe scarily detached from things, you know, yeah. and that that's kind of when he can get kind of menacing is when he's sort of so far above it all you know mm -hmm. um and so i kind of like that that you know, and they're both true you know like i like that the way that that works is characteristics of the doctor but also just kind of how you deal with something over time that you, sure. you have an awful experience and you think I'm never going to forget this. I, I feel like I'll be stuck in how I feel right now for the rest of my life. And then a year later, suddenly you can't remember. You remember the event, but you can't really conjure up the feeling of what it felt like to go through it. You know? Right. That sort right. of, without even noticing it, it's gone and it, you're over it. You know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I really, that's kind of my feeling of, I really like, I mean, there's all those other reasons to include the Zygons and everything, but I think it is really important to have multiple doctors because you get that sense, because this is a process of him changing his mind over a long period of time. So yeah. I like that you get all those little steps along the way and you see how he, he couldn't just make this decision overnight. It's something he had to think about and grow into over a period of time. Um, so there's two thing, two other sort of meta things that I wanted to talk about because, and I feel like this is a good point to bring it up. Okay. Because one of those is so we've, we've completely gotten, thrown our chronological order thing out the window. But whatever. I mean, who cares? Well, what is time? I have no <laughs> idea where he picks that stuff up. <laughs> right. Uh, so one of the one of the things that I want to talk about is uh, interfering with your own time stream, mm -hmm. which is something that we've been warned against uh, by the doctor <laughs> on many occasions. Yeah. So, I mean, I sort of obviously this is an important episode, but also kind of a fun episode because you get to see the doctor interacting with himself. Yeah. Uh, which is something that I'm sure many people enjoy seeing, um, myself among them. Yeah. Um, well, and on that point, too, can I also just say I love how funny this episode is. That, like, 
for the 50th anniversary, you feel like you want something important with like capital sure. letters and it's going to be really serious. And especially when you know it's about the time war, like, oh, this is going to be like a right. downer. But it's really freaking funny the whole way through, you know? So, I mean, we can point out yeah, or not no, it, the moments, but I just want to put that out there that it, I was but pleasantly it's also, surprised by that. It's also funny without without detracting from the importance exactly, and the significance yeah. of that. So I, I think I think it's the balance of it mm -hmm. that, that works real well. Um, I would agree. Uh, so yeah, so we've been warned by the doctor many times um, about, you know, changing, even experiencing yourself in your own time stream. Yeah. Um, obviously, some of those have been... Um, like we get Father's Day, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. where you get problems happening because of interacting. Now that's like your immediate time stream. Yeah. Um, maybe they'll address this in like future episodes mm -hmm. or something, or maybe not because there's, there's sort of the second piece of that, that, and we can talk about them both kind of together maybe, but the second piece of that is the 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 retconning mm -hmm. of the time war yeah. of what what happens and and the effect it has on the doctor and sort of the way they I I think the way they attempt to get around it and I'm I mean I think it's okay mm -hmm. I don't know of a better way it could have been done so like far be it for me to criticize okay. but like I so they say okay so you get the doctor uh, well, you get Clara coming up with this, hey, doctor, be a doctor and fix things. Yeah. And then the doctor comes up with this idea of, you know, oh, let's freeze Gallifrey mm -hmm. in an instant in time. And then all the Daleks will destroy each other yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Which appears to be successful, we learn yes. at the end. Um, so trying to reconcile that. So I thought that's what the moment does was i wrong in that because here's the thing mm -hmm. when going back to the end of the 10th doctor mm -hmm. uh you know with with the yeah uh i forget the wrestle name, with the time lords and everything. yeah yeah, yeah. With, with the time lords and stuff like that's basically what's happening with them right is that they're being frozen in a moment in time. Is that... I think... Or or did I misunderstand I that whole entire thing? My mis my reading, and maybe I didn't define it too much before because I didn't want to, like, give away this episode one way or the other. Um, my reading is that, no, the moment would actually kill everybody. Like, legit kill dead. Um, if they were to use it. Um, I think that the time lock is, you know, the sort of, to distinguish from the stasis cube, <clears throat> the kind of time lock is the thing that would prevent... <laughs> the time lock versus the stasis yes. cube versus the moment. The time lock seems to me the thing that is supposed to prevent people going back in there and meddling is, in my reading, and again, I could be wrong, or maybe people have other theories, but I've always kind of seen it as a sort of natural... Um, side effect of all the like time travel that you know they talk about time lords you know fighting and dying and rising again and going back in time that there's all this sort of like 
it's so messy and so much of the universe and the fabric of time is being destroyed that it's almost like nature just puts a bubble around it and says like you can't even get in or out so that's why you know the doctor can't shouldn't be able to just go back in and and why time lords can't time travel out of the time war to save themselves and they kind of make reference to something let us through and you get this idea that the moment has a you know some i want to talk about that too. has some yes. sort of effect in this but and that's to me different than the kind of okay we're putting you all in you know a stasis cube in your own little pocket um that those are two different ideas um that's you know and and that and i think it is a question and i don't know that it's answered or ever will be answered of did they actually change anything or is this the way it always was you know i think right i, I think well, that, that there's that a, was... there's a similarity to this of the 10th or the 11th doctor's faked death at the end of the sixth season you know where they it's not really his body it's the robots and all that and and you have an open question there of is this really what happened all along and we just didn't understand it or did we actually go back and did, did he die the first time and we've actually gone back and changed time to me they never really say one way or the other and i think this is kind of similar um to me the big thing to get back to the idea of memory that we've always like how much in this show memory is what defines you to me the timeline is preserved for the doctor the only real violation that would bother me is if this story undermined the growth that we saw in the show so like to me it's important that the war doctor and the 10th doctor forget what they've gone through because you need to preserve the suffering of the ninth and the 10th and the 11th doctor because without all that you can't go back and make this decision in the first place like the war doctor right. on his own is not capable of this decision he needs his future selves to with the benefit of hindsight and greater wisdom help him make this decision so the fact that because of a complicated time thing we lose our memory of what happened so that we still think it was destroyed to me that works because it preserves the integrity of the story um but it doesn't really say to me one way or the other has gallifrey really been saved all this time or no did we actually go back and change the outcome um and i don't know I don't think it really. Yeah, I, I think so. I think part of my confusion is is one again, just what is that? How are the mechanisms different? I right. I guess I misunderstood the time lock. Versus the moment versus whatever. Right. Like I, I didn't. And I think you need okay. all these episodes in order for it to kind of. Yeah, your understanding and, and honestly, of it I would have to, over time. I would have to go back and rewatch yeah. those episodes where they talk about stuff like that. Because I, I think it's, it's really in the ninth doctor with Dalek where we first get mm -hmm. like any detail about the time war yeah. and stuff, I think. So like, I think probably going back and, and rewatching some of those and seeing how it fits together might be helpful. Um, 
But I, I mean, I think the memory thing they almost had to do. Yeah. Like, they cause have like to. you said, yeah. like, like, like otherwise it does undercut everything else. Um, they do a little bit of setup for that, you know, so you get like the 10th doctor saying, how can you not remember <laughs> this happening? It's like, you're not pretty paying momentous. enough attention. Yeah. yeah. And the 11th is like, Oh, well it's cause you're clearly not paying enough attention. So pay attention yeah. and whatever. But we, we get the explanation then later that it's, Oh, there's actually, yeah. Whether it's a time thing or a physiological thing or, you know, right. they're just repressing it. Like whatever happens uh, for some reason, at least in the 10th and the war doctor, yeah. um, forget, forget it. Right. Um, I guess the 11th doesn't, though. I think because... from this point on, he can retain. It's sort of as the latest version, he gets to retain the full memory. That's right. my kind of understanding. The only reason I ask is because we get a glimpse of the 12th doctor uh-huh. who was presumably <laughs> involved. Right. Um, along with all the others. So it's not like, like there's also, there are later doctors who at least a later doctor yes. who is presumably involved. Um, although to what extent we don't know, like so this is, so going back to the messing around in, in your own time stream mm-hmm. thing, this is this is the other. I don't know if problems are right word. The other thing that we have to address, I guess, mm-hmm. is that he. It's not just the three doctors. Mm-hmm. It they pull in. I mean, he says all thirteen of us. Right. Um, so you pull in every actual doctor from the beginning to the end, and you get. You get the, I like how they did the clips when they're like, so they're in the Gallifrey war room and you're seeing like the different screens and you see the clips of like the doctor doing calculations and this and that. And I mean, like, obviously these are all clips from random episodes that they happen to find that talks about the doctor calculating something like it's, it wasn't obviously filmed for this use, but I like how they did that. And even, even like, you get the ninth doctor in there with the, you know, you know, here, here we go or whatever he says. Um, which I, you know, I, I couldn't tell you what episode that's from, but I do remember him doing that. Right. Like the, it's like you know, now, whenever you see that shot, you'll go like, oh, there's the one that they, that they stole. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Um, so I, I like how they did all that. But, but so this is like, so again, you know, the doctor doesn't necessarily follow his own rules. Like that's not surprising or whatever. Yeah. But given the momentousness of it, it's like, like you could almost take it two ways. It's like, wow, he's violating, like, every rule of time travel <laughs> yeah. that he's yeah. warned, ever warned anyone else about yeah. by doing all of this. But on the other hand, you can say, maybe this this uh, event, that you know, this potential, you know, ability to save Gallifrey is the one time, it, it's the exception that proves the mm-hmm. rule. Like, this is the one thing... Because it's a time war, because it's all of time and space burning, you know, yeah. into whatever. Like this, if there's any time where you should violate the rules, the rules yeah. uh, this is the time to do it. And with the doctor, if you're going to violate a rule, you might as well violate it big. In you style. might as well, yeah. Not just not just stop with three of you, but get everyone involved. Right. Right. Um, right. Well, and and and, it, sorry, it's, and it's necessary too, because again, with this idea of 
the software and the screwdriver taking a long, he has to start early. So he's, he says, you know, oh, it would take hundreds of hundreds of years, but don't worry, I started a long time ago. You know, so it takes right. all 13 incarnations in order to do, so that's sort of a, there's like a practical reason, but um, yeah, and I want to come back next time to this idea of breaking the rules, because I think that'll be a bigger discussion. Um, but well, and 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 we actually we talked about. Um, I, I brought up Father's Day before. I I think I remember talking about that uh, in that episode where where we mentioned like who makes those rules. Right. Like, are those are those are are we talking about like fundamental rules of the universe, like a law of gravity or, or something? Right. Yeah, which the Doctor can violate at will anyway. Like, right. I mean, he you know. Violate, violate maybe a strong word. Like he, he, you know, can travel through time and space, and gravity is nothing compared to those. Exactly. You know, like, like, so, or are they like self-imposed rules by the Time Lords of like, mm -hmm. you know, these are the official regulations of the Time Lord. You know, I don't know, licensing bureau or whatever. <laughs> like, right. you know, what whatever that official unit of government would be. In which case. We've gotten the doctor saying, I am the Time Lords. Like, I am all of them. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one that's left. So I get to they're my rules, right, right. and I can change them pretty much at will. Right. So, you know, again, like, you, it calls back to that question of, is it, so he's giving rules to other people, but he's sort of not applicable. Or even if they're applicable to him, he can change them because he's the only one around right. uh, to do so. Um so there's that aspect to it as well. but Yeah, and, and I, actually, I mean, I think the, the big example to me of that is, is that kind of moment in the waters of Mars where, you know, I'm, I'm the mm -hmm. Time Lord and I'm going to win. And in that moment, it's sort of a hubristic, he's, he's going to get his comeuppance for his pride. Right, and, the Time Lord victorious. And, and in yeah. a way, it's a weirdly similar situation of he's saying no, I'm not going to let people die. I'm going to break the rules and defeat time and figure out a way to save people. But to me, again, what's different is not necessarily the external circumstances, but it's an attitude shift. Like mm -hmm. that was a, that was a statement of hubris of, of death is nothing to me. And I get to decide who lives and who dies. And I'm right. going to tell you what your fate is going to be rather than, letting the humans you know make her make adelaide let her make the choice that she wants to make you know whether you know so when she begs him to save her he doesn't and then when she wants to sacrifice herself he says nah and so there's something kind of like wrong about that whereas here you i don't get that sense of like you know it, it's more about fixing what he's done wrong you know like he's had time to realize a mistake that he made and you know and yeah it is still rule breaking because it's the doctor and he does always break the rules but um you know it's more that thing of he's being a doctor he's fixing things and mm -hmm. and saving people you know and and it's a it's a difference of sort of perspective i guess that makes it feel different to me yeah yeah, no, I, I agree. And and 
like I said, I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with the way they did this here, but I do feel like we need to talk about both the retconning and mm-hmm. the breaking of rules because because they are things that we've yeah. I mean, we've revisited the time war time and again and been told this is what happens. And now we find out it's not really quite what happens. Right, um, right. Well, and then... And finish what and you're saying and the, I have something the, else. The rule, and then the rules thing, again, is, is like we've been told time and again, like, no, you can't, you know, interfering with your own time stream is never a good idea. Mm-hmm. Except for when I do it. And not only do I interfere with my own time stream, but I interfere with it in many, many points across it. Right, you know, in every point of uh, my life. Every, yeah. yeah, like pretty much every point across it. Yeah. And, um, but... But I also, I, I like, you were talking about how there's a number of things here on the sort of mythological level. I do like that they do it in that way of, this is the thing I've been doing. All, like, this is almost, you could almost even read it as, this is the actual reason why I stole the TARDIS in the beginning and went off. is because I needed... Like and and I think you can do that without undercutting all the other. I'm off to explore the universe and have mm-hmm. fun and whatever because he's doing that in the meantime. This is like a background program that's running. It's like right. killing two birds with one stone right. kind of thing. Like, but like you could almost see it becoming like a not not only have I been doing this from the beginning, but this is why, this is why I I'm stole here. that TARDIS. Right. I stole that that I stole the TARDIS and have been in pain in all of the Time Lords, but yeah. for millennia well centuries anyway because you know so that i could save them yeah which i think it that's consistent to me with this idea of the name of the doctor is a promise and so it's a fulfillment so whenever he chose the name the doctor you know why ever he did it he may not have known that this day would come but for whatever reason that was a promise that he made was to be a doctor. And so this yeah. is the fulfillment of that. And so right. I think there is a sense in which, yeah, even if he couldn't have foreseen this moment, this is why he is the doctor in that right. kind of sense. Um, shoot, I had something else. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Um, I think one of the, and again, this isn't one that I agree with, but one of the uh, groups that, I did see um, have a tough time with this episode would be fan particular fans of the Russell Davies era and felt like you know there's an undermining of of his work and the time war in this which mm. I understand intellectually what they mean but I don't think that I don't think it thinks it through well enough you know to kind of realize again, the careful preservation of the story here, that, like, this isn't necessarily, it's not a negation of that story, it's a fulfillment of that story, you know, that this is, Mm. to me, the eucatastrophic climax of the Time War story, of, you know, Mm. we've been through, and everything that we've seen, you know, the Ninth and Tenth Doctors go through has led them to the ability to go back and do this thing. Um... But even, um, and there's some interesting stuff, like, I think before they did the episode, Moffat, you know, tried to write Russell Davies an email and say, you know, I'm going to do something in this episode that I, it, it may offend you. 
And Russell said, no, 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 don't tell me. I don't want to know. <laughs> so he was sort of like of the opinion of it's your show now. You do right. what you think is right. And, right. and that's all you have to answer to. But actually, a couple weeks ago, um, there was an article published where uh, Moffat admitted that he says, even two years later, I'm still haunted by the guilt. So there's a bit of him that, again, as an admirer of his predecessor, feels a kind of, even he can kind of sympathize with the idea of, you know, he doesn't want to just undermine the guy that came before him and say, oh, the thing that was the centerpiece of your tenure, it didn't matter. Um, you know, and I don't think that's what this story is saying at all. Um, yeah, like, again, yeah. I think it's necessary to have everything that came before in order for this something, story to mean something. Um, you know, you can't save the time war if, you know, we never cared about it in the first place, I think. Um, and also, it's just that idea of um, this being... Moffat's thing of this not just looking backward but looking forward that this being a new beginning a new chapter of the story of you know maybe new who up to this point has been sort of time war driven but as we've talked about like even with those traumatic moments you can't just dwell on them forever and it's sort of like for the good of the story you have to find a way to reconcile that and move on from there um you know and that doesn't mean that we're saying that you know it was what came before was unimportant you know um so yeah. you know that was one reaction i saw from the kind of russell finn contingent you know was oh it undermines you know but and also like you realize how far moffat goes out of his way not to contradict things that came before like there's even the line about um you know the high council has these plans but they've already failed so you know that like in some other wing it's rassilon and his group and they're trying to break out in the end of time you know and that's right. going on in the background but it's already over so like like so yeah. even that is yeah. like he's being really careful to fit everything in in a way that we're not like throwing anything out the window you know everything can kind of still be true i guess right right yeah actually and i'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was another aspect that i was that i had thought of during sort of my whole <laughs> uh talk that i was doing there a moment ago but yeah. um hadn't hadn't i had forgotten to mention that but um yeah it's I, I would agree with you. Like, I don't think any of this undercuts or undermines anything. I mean, I think if, if anything, I mean, it's, it's certainly not the first time where we've seen the doctor want to go back and try something different to save someone. Mm -hmm. um, and considering this is, you know, like we talked about how much of a defining moment this is in the, the doctor's history. Yeah. Um, it makes sense that, yeah, it might might have taken him four hundred years, mm -hmm. but he finally figured, figured out, out a way, way, you know, to do something different. Like we don't like not even to know if it's gonna work. Yeah. But to figure out a way to do something different. And so why not give it a shot? You know? Right. Which was Moffat's um, like, thing of like, it's his birthday. How could I not give him this opportunity to yeah. and that's what he does is 
given the choice between killing group A or group B, he goes, no, I'm going to find a third option. And maybe it'll take me a while, but yeah. we'll get there. And and that's like, I like that that's where we get, um, you know, the the war doctor, I think it is, mm-hmm. who says, I, I get confused as to which one says which stuff yeah. sometimes, but um, who says, you know, at least at least we'll we'll have tried um, and we'll have failed by trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, versus just not trying or or doing the wrong thing yeah. all along. You know, like I think that's that's one of the big. You know, again, one of those big mythological points of Doctor mm-hmm. Who is like, yeah, sometimes we do fail, but it's better to fail trying. You know, to save someone and be a doctor than it is to just not try at all or to you know actively hurt someone right um even even though sometimes the things that we try do fail and end up hurting people yeah um so yeah so (laughs) we should go through it from the beginning to the end now (laughs) uh that we talked for an hour um no okay so i do want to go back to the beginning okay and talk a I want, I want to talk about Clara, and I feel like we do need to go back to that very beginning to do so and then talk about her throughout yeah. um, a little bit. Because, as we've said, I kind of feel like she's <clears throat> the hero of the story in a way. Yeah. Um, so, interesting to note. One, uh, it appears... Well, I guess I don't know if the TARDIS opens the door on its own or if the Doctor opens it. When we see the doctor, he's sort of nonchalantly reading right. a book. Right, his like uh, so theoretical physics book or something. It 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 could be that moments before he had opened the TARDIS door and then quickly ran over and pretended to read the book. Right. Um, regardless, when she goes into the TARDIS, she snaps her fingers and the door is closed. Right, right. Which I thought was an interesting. Uh, right. Bit There's there. a new rapport between her and yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, right. Especially thinking about to when the. Tardis first met Clara right. and like it wouldn't open the door actively her. disliked her yeah right yeah. like we got the sense that she was not right um right which you maybe it's uh uh ha- her having now gone into his time stream and saved him across all the time maybe sort of the TARDIS is like okay now you're all right. you're in the yeah, club you're, you're I guess up. you're okay you know he she even gets a little bit of special treatment that way um we so we're also getting a bit of a new rapport between Clara and the Doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, not not new. Like, I mean, it's sort of been developing all along, but certainly a more romantic sort of mm-hmm. uh, engagements there. Um, or feeling maybe not engagements isn't the, is the right word, but you know what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. just seems to be more comfortable with each other. More, yeah, sort of they're together kind of way yeah. <laughs> like yeah. um then then you know simple companions or whatever yeah that, um, that moment at the end especially where she says you know i i always yeah. know you know there's that kind of right kind of tenderness i guess between them um but also well there's that but then there's also like her moment with the war doctor um when they're trapped in the room mm-hmm. and her going over uh or is that what you were talking about? I was thinking of the very end, like when they're with the paintings, and she's like, oh, I know you need time alone with your painting. You know, that she can oh, read yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, no, talk about the War Doctor. Well, just because she goes over there, and she's like, 
you know, she's talking to him and, um, like when, when she says like, oh, you know, there, you have young eyes basically Mm -hmm. like, like this, this idea that she's looked into the doctor's eyes enough to like be able to read them and, you know, understand like sort of what he's thinking and all that. I mean, I guess it's very similar to kind of what you were saying with Mm -hmm. the other, with the other moment, but but like that she can like she does it's not just like she talks about my doctor but it's clear that she understands more than just her doctor Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like there's that there's that idea of like she can also look at the war doctor and see what he's thinking based or or at least how he's feeling based on her experiences with the doctor and maybe that's i you know honestly it didn't occur to me that it's the i've been helping the doctor through all of time and space right i think that's part of it i don't know that that's all of it you know but i think it is supposed to be that she has this even more uh increased understanding of of him and his whole history you know that yeah like i i think you're right like i think i that honestly hadn't occurred to me when i was sort of thinking about Clara and her role here Mm -hmm. but I think that that makes a lot of sense and so you know so to have her connect with the war doctor which we found out at the end of um uh the episode there where she name of the goes into name of the doctor thank you um I I kept thinking night of the doctor (laughs) I knew that wasn't right and I'm like what's the they both start with that no um yeah so at the end of name of the doctor where after she had gone through all the time in history and been helping the doctors, you know, in various forms, mm-hmm. like she still didn't know who the war doctor was. So this was like, this is her moment now to really have reached right. literally all 13 of the doctors that we know of. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, so I think, I think, I think, yeah, both of those points we get to see, that there's definitely a new rapport. I I mean, it would be hard to imagine that that doesn't um, that that doesn't happen because mm-hmm. of the you know going through all of the doctor's timeline. Like, yeah. almost seems like it would. I I would want. I wonder. One thing I wonder is if if those moments are similar to like the time war, you know, saving the saving Gallifrey moment of you're not really going to remember these after they happen. like Right. And there's the one little moment of when she meets them all in the dungeon, when she runs in, because the door is unlocked. Um, and mm. <laughs> none of you have to try the door. Another little moment of Clara cutting right to the issue while the rest of them sit around and like right. have philosophical debates. You know, it's a nice little metaphor for her relationship to them. But um she first sees them and she's kind of like, okay, so they're both you. And he says, yeah, you met them, remember? And she's like, well, yeah, kind of. So I think it is that, you know, I kind of get the sense of like, she may not remember, sort of like Rory. Like I remember, but I don't remember all the time, you know, like like, these memories are buried in there deep, but they're not, it's not like remembering what I had for breakfast. You know, it's like, they're in your subconscious or something. So she's sort of familiar. Right. She's seen them before, but she still needs to sort of meet them properly, I guess. Well, and we don't know how many times she met each doctor. Right, right. So there's a, there might also just be a, a, you know, a fault of human memory where, right. like, 
it can only hold so much yeah. <laughs> where like, you know, she, she sort of vaguely remembers seeing all the doctors at some point, but she doesn't necessarily remember maybe what she did with each one or right. how she helped each one. Well, it seems like it was a fairly, it seems like it was a fairly surreal experience anyway, you know? Right. So it's in this kind of like nightmare dream vision kind of thing of like, yeah. who knows how lucid she really was at the time anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. So, um, and then we also just sort of finishing out sort of the connection between the doctor and Clara there too, is we get that, that ending sort of monologue, mm -hmm. you know, the overdub monologue by the doctor of, you know, Clara asked me if I dream, of course I dream, I tell her. So it's like, they're not the implication per se that they're sleeping together, but <laughs> yeah. there's like this, right. you know, like there's this, it's, they're at least right. having somewhat intimate it, discussions like a pillow together. talk kind of conversation. Yeah, yeah like it kind of is like right like which you know fits right in with all of the doctor who like we talked about right. you know like nine and rose sort of falling on the yeah. floor together it's right. not what did, did neil gaiman it's not say? quite suggestive but it's almost suggestive did, you know what did neil like, gaiman say recently there's always sex in doctor who it's just properly repressed that that's sort of right. the the rule of thumb right so but yeah no i mean it, it definitely is this like like there's this intimate talk yeah. and okay like you could have that just being in the tardis a lot together but it it seems like a half notch mm. above that mm -hmm. you know what i mean just the way it's sort of nonchalant claire asked me if i dream you know it's like well when did she ask you this like right, right after you woke <laughs> right. up <laughs> like <laughs> like when right. does this conversation take place right so there there is this idea that there's you know that, that they're dancing together right okay um so to speak <laughs> uh and and yeah so yeah i, I don't know i, I think guess it, we you know that clara is sticking around for a while so i think we can keep our eye on that you know see if that yeah. goes anywhere or becomes more explicit or whatever um right um and and so of course then there's the there's the other aspect of, of where, you know, the moment where she is the hero of, you know, pointing out to the doctor, like who other than someone who has been, and I don't know why I didn't realize this about her having gone through all of the different mm -hmm. like iterations of the doctor, but who else could say to the doctor, do what you've always done, be a doctor. Right. Like who would know better than her? Right who has been in all those moments of the doctor's life of what he really truly is at heart. Um, you know, this isn't like, this isn't like the, uh, so I, I just rewatched with my daughter um, when a good man goes to war mm -hmm. or good man goes to war, whatever the name of the episode is. And, and the follow up to, or is that the second one? Uh, I, don't, I can't remember. The, is in there. Let's kill Hitler. Yeah. Right. Part. Right. Yeah. So like there's the, there's the, um, like it's not like that where you get the the gamma forest word for you know for warrior is doctor too right. like you know where you're getting like the split of language this is like you know clara has seen who the doctor is throughout all of his different lives um and she's saying this is who you really are mm -hmm. like um any old idiot can be a hero. Like we've got enough warriors. Anyone can be a hero. Be what you are. Be a doctor. Be a healer. Be someone who fixes things. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. So I just just again this idea of that like she knows him maybe better than any companion 
could have known him right. at this point just because of that experience. Right, and maybe better um, than even, he always knows himself, you know, like that he's forgotten, yeah. you know, and, and needs it, to be, like we all do, it's hard to be objective about yourself. You know, you need... In, in the way that a good friend, yeah. a good long-term friend uh, who has known you in many iterations of yourself right, right. can point out the things that you would think might be obvious to you and are once they're pointed out, right. but maybe... You just need that. Right. Well, and and connecting back to uh, A Good Man Goes to War, you know, with that idea of you can see Moffat setting stuff up so far down the road with this idea of doctor is synonymous with warrior. So here we go. We have the war doctor, you know, and even he is redeemed in this story that he, you know, even for just this one day gets to be a doctor, too. And not right. to be the the bad right. guy who gets shunned by all oh, the other... Oh, we'll talk about the war doctor. Okay. Don't worry. Okay. But... <laughs> I was talking about Clara. Okay. But no, I think I think, I think think you're right. I think that's that's right. And actually, uh, that's one of the other reasons why I love that quote that she has at the very beginning mm-hmm. of what a good man should be. Right. Is because it definitely calls back that when a good man yeah. goes to war. Because what is it? This is a good man going to war. Right. This right. is, you know, the quintessential moment of that. So I think I think you're right. Like, this is... All tied in together. Mm-hmm. I, and sorry, I was just teasing. No, I, no. <laughs> I, it, it, it's also convoluted. Like you almost can't. You can't. You know, just talk well, about I, one ass. You can't. I th- and I think those are the best episodes where it's like it's so well integrated, all the different ideas that you don't even really know yeah. where to start. You know, the, everything yeah. relates to something else. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and so I we talked about the five-ish doctors before about um when they when they do sneak onto the set and you see yes. like them hiding under the sheets i did think about that when i when i saw the sheets <laughs> i'm like oh there's there's the it's the, it's no. the classics they're under yeah, yeah. Um, um i i do have to admit though i was not expecting zygons to be when when they started talking about stone dust and like smashing statues and stuff i thought we were going to see some angels oh uh, yeah so yeah. i i didn't I didn't expect. Uh, this, that's I mean, true. That's I, a, that's a that's a good thought. I mean, it would have been one like that. Other than the non shape shifting factor, um, which, like we talked about, they kind of needed that mm-hmm. to get the human aspect. Um, I that would have been a good, a good, a good alternate. You know, yeah. uh, well, and I think this is. I mean, if you were going to do a new series monster in the 50th that would be the the obvious choice this is i think another way to include the classics because the zygons are a particularly popular classic monster so um they haven't been back obviously so and they were sort of one of the the big obvious ones that people were waiting for so not only do they fit well in the story but it's again another way to sort of bring in old series aspects mm. too um and they look good like they're actually one of the classic designs that holds up really well like i mean obviously they're they're better now like they get the goo and the all that kind of stuff a little bit you know um it, a little more realistic looking but um but they are a pretty effective scary monster i think yeah Interesting. I actually didn't know that. I mean, I probably could have guessed. Well, yeah, not necessarily, but that's what I'm here for, just to confirm stuff like that. <laughs> um, <sighs> so 
I, I'm not sure where to go from here because okay. I, I will be happy to take suggestions. Okay. Um, because um, because we I mean we we have to talk about the moment and yeah. the form of Rose. We do. Um, well, why don't we do that? Because I feel like that's a nice segue off of Clara because mm. the moment is not Rose. No. Sort of. And but you have the implicit presence of Rose, you know, in the form of Billy Piper. So I think she's connected to Rose and connected to Clara as this, as a companion, companion figure. Yeah. And not only and, that, but sorry, I just sorry. have to talk because like she's one of my favorite parts of this episode. That's fine. Um, Billy Piper is always my favorite part of anything, but um <laughs> so not only do you have like, you know, okay, she looks like Rose, so you have this sort of companion connection, but as I'm sure you picked up on, you get the fact that she's this kind of bit of machinery, you get very Tardisy overtones to her as well. Mm. Yeah, like she really reminds me of the Doctor's Wife episode, you know, the way that, because she doesn't yes. really talk like Rose, she talks more like the Doctor's Wife, you know, with her yes. kind of posh little accent and her kind of like you know uh, you know oh i forget if it's past or future or yes, all that kind I, of thing i made that comment as well okay, yes good. so <laughs> uh, anyway yeah. go what would you like to say about the moment because i i no, i think I, the moment again is one of these really mythic elements of the episode well yeah it is i mean you get i mean just the moment like you know this this proper uh noun mm -hmm. being like and so okay a few things so one is what we learn from the general uh the gallifrey in general i don't know if he has a name there the head guy yeah. um it's called the galaxy eater mm -hmm. uh but we also find that it's the final work of the ancients of gallifrey and i thought that was an interesting like little one-off mm -hmm. because you get this idea that it's the final work of the engine of the Gallifrey. So one, you get the sense of that it's lost technology mm -hmm. that, that as powerful and knowledgeable and technologically advanced as the time Lords are, there's, there was something right. more technologically advanced or whether you want to call it advanced or not, because mm -hmm. this is a weapon. Right. Yeah. This it's a weapon so powerful, the operating system become became sentient. So so you get this sense of like like yes, they were they were great technological uh innovators, whatever this ancient whoever these ancients of Gallifrey were. Mm -hmm. And you know, this is sort of the culmination of their work. Why are there no more of right. them? Right. You know? Was it because they built this yeah. Atom bomb type right. this weapon, ultimate weapon. You know, yeah. This this weapon that could destroy everything. Um and this happens to be the the one that survived. Mm -hmm. Um But yeah, you know, just that that idea that this is this is something from an earlier age. It's not something that the Time Lords have control over. Mm -hmm. Um and and you get that with the idea of it having a conscience that yeah. you, you know Maybe maybe one had been used by the ancients and they were wiped out, or maybe they realized they never could use it precisely because of what the general says. How do you use a weapon of ultimate mass destruction when it can stand in judgment on you? Mm. And it's like that, you know, would Roosevelt have 
you know, ordered the atomic bombs if he knew exactly how much damage they would have done, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So, like, you know, and and is that a big part of why, mm. you know, because he did use them, is that a big part of why people have not used them ever since, right. you know? Right, um, You know, because they know what happens and because there is a judgment. Um, so... So I like that. I like that that even within sort of the mythology, which we don't know a lot of of Gallifrey, that there's like a mythology within Gallifrey too, right, of like right. an earlier time. That there's that there's this thing, and and an earlier and and possibly more advanced time. That even like the Gallifreyans themselves are maybe a a diminished or declined society in a way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, even though, you know, we hear so much good about them and, and, you know, we know that like they've, although I know that there's been like tensions between him and the doctor, like I, I get the feeling that like what we know about Gallifrey society is at least that it's worth saving. I mean, that's kind of the point of this episode right, in right. a way, you know, is that like, it's not like they're so, uh, diminished and like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, you know, just like, it's not like they're like, you know, some hedonistic society that like, it would be better just to be rid of them kind of thing. Right. It's, you know, there's still a lot of good and noble stuff, even if sometimes maybe they're a little too officious or a little too, right. uh, you know, whatever for the doctor, for the doctor. Right. And I think there are periods where it has seemed more like that, where like, you know, uh, the, the the Time Lords had become so corrupt that they had to be stopped. But I think a big part of this episode is redeeming them. That, yes, maybe certain branches or certain members of that society were corrupt. And, yes, maybe this war is doing a lot of damage and does have to be stopped. But, you know, there are these Gallifreyan generals who are trying to save their people. Or there are these billions of children who... This is kind of the first we're hearing about them. Like, you know, mm -hmm. yes, we've heard, okay, the doctor destroyed all his people, but this is the first time we really get a focus on, like, what that means, you know? So, right. yeah, I mean, it is easy to kind of say, um, you know, it, you know, Japan is one of the, you know, bad guys in there, you know, they have to be stopped and whatever, but then you think about what Hiroshima actually did and the people that, it actually affected, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, clearly the children there were not involved in, you know, what was going on globally. So bringing that kind of focus down to exactly what those implications mean. Um, and I just love this idea of, I mean, it makes sense that they have, you know, Time Lords have super advanced technology. Like we know that the TARDISes are somewhat sentient, you know, and more than yeah. more than a little sentient. So, um, right, and that they grow, like yeah, and they there's a biological component to right, them. and that they have agency and decision and personality and all these things. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense to me that you know the more advanced their technology gets, that would be true of other things as well. So then. But that might backfire a little. Like, so suddenly your weaponry is sentient and it doesn't want to be used. Like, I think that's just such a great idea of, you know, maybe mm. if a gun were to become self-aware, would it want to be used to kill people? I don't know. You know, maybe not. And 
So you here you have this, right. or at least not all the time, and right. without lots of thought right. beforehand. Right. So here's <laughs> here's this bomb who right. it's her purpose to talk him out of using her. Um, you know, which is kind of a great idea, I think. Um, yeah, and so the use of you know she needs a form in order to speak with him, so she chooses Rose Tyler, which I think is. Pretty nice. Sure. Um, and Moffat has kind of said that for him, um, Billy Piper is sort of the face of the new series, like even more than Christopher Eccleston or David Tennant or any of the others, that when he thinks of the revival of the show, he thinks, mm. especially for those first couple years, he really thinks yeah. about Rose and Billy Piper and how she kind of was, you know, really the lead at first. Like, Yes, it was about the doctor, but it was really about, you know, Rose's expansion of her world and meeting him and her journey and everything. So bringing her in as sort of this embodiment of that idea. Um, but it's surprising because I know I was all set for Rose to make an appearance. And yeah. I certainly wasn't disappointed because I love what they did with with Piper in the episode. But it was kind of that shock of first of, of oh gosh, this isn't at oh, all what I wait, thought it was yeah. going to be. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. No. Same. I mean, same here. And and that was, I I had managed to stay pretty much spoiler free. Good. Uh, for this, so when I saw that, that's how Billy Piper came back, um, as sort of Rose, but not really Rose. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that was. A little surprising to me as well. Although, although upon reflection, I think makes more sense than simply bringing back Rose because yeah. they've already done that. They've already did yes. the uh, oh, I've I've you know gone Traveled through between universes, uh, yeah. dimensions, or whatever. Yeah, to to get to you and give you a message. So, like, how could they possibly do that again without it kind of being repetitive, kitschy, right. yeah, or repetitive, right? So I do like this. Um, also, the idea of the moment, not just that it's sentient and, and whatever, but that um, it has, it, like you were saying about the TARDIS, that it is tapped into sort of all of time and space mm -hmm. uh, together. So it's, you know, uh, you get that reminder of the doctor's wife where, um, you know, she says, uh, it's, from, it's from your past or possibly the future. I always get the two mixed mm -hmm. up. Uh, and, and the doctor's wife, you get the um, tenses are confusing. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, the whole the idea of like, like, I know these things are happening. I just I couldn't tell you from this particular moment in time right. where it is in connection. Right. Well, um, also, there's a little meta joke there of it's the doctor's future, but it's the past of the series. You know, I chose this form. So it's from it's from a it's a girl that the war doctor hasn't met yet. But it's from the past in the sense that we know who it is. We've seen her. So it means right. something to us. So I like that kind of right. joke of that. Yeah, no, definitely. And and of course there's I mean, we know that like the war doctor doesn't actually remember right. this period. Right. So but, so you know. you're right, but there's still like maybe a psychic hint of like when he sees Rose, like, oh, there's something, something there important and, about her. Yeah. And, and, um, which is kind of a re, uh, 
reworking of that moment at the end of the tenant era mm. when he goes back mm-hmm. and it's like new year's eve and and he is like on his last legs right. you know and so the last person of course that he goes to see is rose right. and she doesn't and and obviously i mean we talked about how like i mean she doesn't even meet 10 first right. like she meets nine first right. so it's a little while and so of course she doesn't remember having met him because he's just a guy in a dark alley on new year's eve right. but uh you know there's this idea of a sort of parallel mm-hmm. uh to that that now the doctor's meeting rose kind of for the first time here mm-hmm. rather than later but he doesn't remember it and so but there is that connection between the two of them uh, when they do meet each other, even though they're different faces, different situations and all that. Right. Um, yeah. And of course, the the one real explicit moment of, you know, bad, bad, uh, can't even say it, bad wolf, <laughs> bad wolf, bad wolf girl. I can't say it. Bad wolf girl. Bad wolf girl. Yeah. I can kiss you. Yeah. That's going to happen. So, yeah. Like right. That one right. kind and of the... moment of like, oh, like this is coming down the pike and. It kind of perks uh, up tenant's ears for a second. And, and right, right. He's like, bad wolf, what? You know, um, but also the parallel between that and when tenant is kissing Elizabeth the first mm-hmm. at their wedding. And he's like, does this happen a lot? And, and it Matt Smith's like, happen, ah, yeah. it, it, it starts to happen. Yeah. Like, so again, sort of calling out that this is a new who yeah. thing. Yeah. The, the, the more explicit romantic relationships, yes. slightly more explicit, yeah. though still quite repressed yes. uh, to Gaiman's yeah, point. Yeah, or at least um, there's more kissing, even if there's not open acknowledgement of feeling. Um, right, right. Um, so yeah, like just, just these sort of playing with the, the relationship there. Mm -hmm. Um, so all of that's fun, of course, but yeah, the, like going back to like what the moment, like we don't, we never still get a real full explanation of what the moment does. It's called the galaxy eater. Um, you know, it's called a weapon of mass destruction, Mm -hmm. ultimate mass destruction. But what does ultimate mean? I mean, you know. Is it literally everything? Is it? I mean, the idea—the idea of the doctor using it—is that it's better than what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's so when when the general says, you know, it's a weapon of ultimate mass destruction. Right. It doesn't mean okay. It doesn't mean like literally the entire universe right. because right. because that's what's on the hook is the entire universe. So it's something less than the entire universe but still i mean the galaxy eater like that's still a lot yeah like an entire galaxy <laughs> um, right and remember a couple weeks ago with uh warwick davis and his kind of that used to be the yeah the tiberian galaxy or whatever um right and and that's I, I wasn't thinking specifically of that episode but that type of thing yeah. uh you know i was thinking of like we've had episodes where the stars go dark Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't know the reasons why, you know, perhaps, and it's, it gets the doctor thinking, or of course, like you said, like, like there was a clear military mm-hmm. reason why those, that section of the galaxy is no longer lit up. Right. Um, you know, and that kind of thing. So definitely, definitely a dangerous, um, weapon to use. Um, and that of course prompts the doctor's journey. And I don't know, like... Other than sort of Billy Piper mm-hmm. being her, you know, good self. And you're right, like, there is the tardis aspect of it. But also, like, 
that's what the bad wolf is. Right. Is the TARDIS inside Rose. Right, that so exact that combination of the two, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's there's the idea that that it really is that she is in a way the bad mm-hmm. wolf. And she even I mean she says, you know, in this form I'm the bad wolf. It's not right. you know, not Rose Tyler right. uh per se. Um so so yeah, like like you do get the sense of of the moment being this weapon, obviously, but, but, uh, but that her real purpose is, yeah, to sort of show the doctor who he really is. Um, yeah. And in that way, kind of becomes the doctor's companion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just like Rose was and just like Clara is and, or just like Rose will be, um, right. you know, and, and all of that. So, um, that, I, I do like it. Uh, I like how they played out other than my confusion about sort of the differences between the moment right. and, uh, the other time lock and the, you know, all that stuff. Like, um, I guess, so, so the time lock is still in place though. I, yeah, presumably. I think so. I mean, other than I mean, the moment kind of allowing them, helping them right. through it, I think, the time lock is there to explain why the time lords don't just time travel out of the time war. Like, right. to me, that's really which, why it exists, is to... Which, presumably, the Daleks would just follow them. Right. If they tried well, that's to a good, that that's anyway. a That's a good point, too. But, yeah. Um, so, that's where the War Doctor begins his journey. Yes. So we should talk about him a little we bit. We should. Um, um, a little bit more. We've talked about him a little bit already, I guess. Yeah. Right. So he's stuck between a girl and a box. Story of your life, eh, doctor? Um, <laughs> um yeah, I mean, so... you know, strong opening. He's got his sort of declaration. I served notice to you all. Right. Too long have I stayed my hand. No more. Right. And I want to point that out because there may be other examples of it, but, um, with the words no more, um, there, there's a very specific previous use of that. Um, a while ago, Dalek Khan, who's the one who kind of goes mad in the time war, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and sort of ends up defeating, he kind of turns against his own, you know, Davros and his Dalek people and, um, and sort of saves the day at the end there. And he, uh, his words were, I saw the Daleks, what we had done throughout time and space. I saw the truth of us and I decreed no more. So I like that you have this parallel of within each, mm. within each factions of the war, you get these rebels who then are so appalled with what their own side is doing that they break out and they, you know, try to find some other way. Um, yeah. And so it's just a nice little bit of symmetry there. I don't know whether Moffat picked those words out intentionally. I feel like maybe he did, but um, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's it's nice once you kind of notice that it's there. Yeah, I mean, I would I would like to think that he did that intentionally as well, but I think either way, you're getting, like, this is another point in the um, acknowledging rather than overshadowing yep. the R2D era. Yep. Um, yeah, and I feel like that's kind of what this episode does is go back over all those previous Time War episodes with a fine-tooth comb and 
pick out as many interesting bits as we can, like, you know, whether sure. it's the moment or, you know, or the words no more or something else. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's interesting, too, that the when the war doctor first turns up, his first words are, give me your gun. <laughs> like, that's such a anti-doctor sentiment, you know, like, it's sure. sort of, this is the kind of thing to let you know, this isn't quite the real doctor, like, this is the war doctor. So, even yeah, though he doesn't... not the doctor you know. He shoots the wall, like, he doesn't really kill anybody, but still, like, just the fact that he his first act is to well, except... pick up the gun is, you know... Except when, when you know, the TARDIS breaks through and, like, destroys all yeah, his Yeah, and that's not to say like, he's not, I mean, he's contemplating killing everybody, so it's it's not like he's right. above that, but. Um. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I like, I like how the moment sort of points out to him, like, so his, the War Doctor is almost suicidal, almost kamikaze yeah. in a way. Like, like, I feel like. And I didn't, I didn't write down any specific quotes, but I get, I get the sense that he's expecting to die yeah. as part of using the moment. Yeah. And I can't, I don't he remember. Says if he says that, I think he says like, okay. I, I have no desire to live through this yeah. or something. And she, but, she says that's your punishment then. But well, that's where I was oh, going. Sorry. Was was that the moment then says to him, your punishment isn't that you're gonna die along with everyone else. It's that you know, if you kill them all that's the consequence that you live. And, and the idea being that he'll remember mm -hmm. the shame and doing all of that. Um, so the thing of that, the thing of that is that of course he ends up not using it. Right. And not killing them all, but he still remembers right. that he did. And so th there's like, it's interesting to me that there's even like, a consequence to his contemplating mm. using it. Like, it's not even like, like, even though he decided not to, that there's the fact that he was willing at one point to go there mm -hmm. and do that changes something for him. Mm -hmm. And that there's this, there's this idea of now he's going to live with the, with the idea of his, because, and, and I think this brings in night of the doctor because this goes back to, you know, okay, so we get the eighth doctor who's sort of in the middle of the time war yeah. and trying to help things the way he can, but ultimately realizes he can't mm -hmm. do what needs to be done. So he gets to choose who he's going to regenerate into. Yeah. And the choice that he makes is to regenerate into this nameless doctor mm -hmm. who ultimately isn't able to do it either. Right. But the consequence of his willingness and the the choice of regenerating the, the choice of the choice of making a choice to make the choice. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, -huh. uh, is what ultimately, you know, gives him this sort of post time war PTSD right, that right. he gets, uh, you know, with, I, I would, I would describe Chris Eccleston doctor as, you know, like the PTSD doctor, mm -hmm. um, you know, 10 is sort of the recovering uh -huh. regretful doctor right. and then 11 like we said was the forgetful doctor yeah. so I, I don't have a rhyme unfortunately for, to fit nine, nine in there yeah. but but I would say like this is yeah this is the doctor coming out of the horrors of that war right. and and so it, it's just interesting to me that like like 
the moment names the consequences of if you kill them all. But this is one of those moments, like it's one of those tricky prophecy kind of moments right. of she didn't say what happens if you don't kill them all. Right. And that the consequence is the, same. the same. And so, so I don't, I mean, like you could point to that as maybe a flaw even mm -hmm. like, oh, well, how come you still have to face this consequence? But at the same time, like, I don't know, maybe that's intentional. And, and I mean, we can talk about whether it yeah. matters. I mean, we, we have talked about in the past, whether it matters intentionality or not. And I don't think yeah. it does, but, but I, I think it's interesting that that, like there is that manipulative aspect to the moment mm -hmm. of, of if you do this thing, this is, this is what will happen. And no mention of, like it's just sort of implied that if then you don't do the thing, then it won't happen. Right. But that's that's not like logically that's that's not true. That's a fallacy that right. that doesn't matter. Um, and we find out that the same thing does end up happening anyway. Right. Uh, right. That he that not the same thing insofar as like he doesn't kill everyone, but the consequences as if he killed everyone, he remembers killing everyone, and in a way that's just as bad. Right. Again, with uh, memory is everything. You what. What you think about things is reality. Like you know, right? It, you know, you are what you know. I guess, like you know, your own perspective on things. And and again, I, that if that's true, then it makes sense that there would even be consequences for, like you said, the contemplation of this act. That like, you know, okay, contemplation and action aren't the same thing, but still, to even go to the place of right. considering this bears you know you've set things well, in motion that can't be completely undone without some repercussion and and that's why you know in murder cases or, or criminal cases of many kinds like you know they take into account intent right. like that's one of the three factors yeah. it's you know means and intent and you know yeah um whatever you know motivation right. premeditation uh, counts for a lot you know, as yeah, much like as you're going to you're going to have a harsher sentence yeah. just for just because you thought about it beforehand rather than, you know, it happened in the course of right. being angry or something like this is this is absolutely just as bad in a way, mm -hmm. uh, you know, being the, the fact that you were willing to do it and went through the motions to do it. And it was only the it, I mean, I still think Clara is the hero of the mm -hmm. episode. If If that's the case, then you know, the bad wolf moment is the secondary mm -hmm. hero of the episode yeah. because she's the one or it's the one that forces the doctor to stop and think about take it. count yeah. of what what's really going to happen. Well, and you mentioned the and, and take too. count literally. I didn't even mean it that right, way, but take right. count literally of of what the, you know, cost is uh, in children's lives, at least. Um, and you also mentioned it's really subtle, but the moment where, she, you know, he says, you know, I have no desire to live through this. And then she says, okay, then that's the consequence. There's a little, it, they don't use it much in the episode, but there's a little subtle moment of the Ninth Doctor musical theme that it kind of invokes the fact that, okay, this is, this is the con, like everything that he, the guilt that he lives with is the direct result of, you know, these decisions. Um, yeah. Yeah, so kind of re-invoking that. Um, another thing I'm aware of our time, um, but another thing I do want to bring up with the war doctor is this idea. You mentioned it before with 
his eyes being younger than the others, you know, so you get mm. the irony of um, the old, old man, man and which is sort of the trend, yeah. you know, with, you know, William Hartnell being, you know, the oldest up until that point, Matt Smith being the youngest, but actually it's sort of reversed, you know, that, you know, so the oldest mm. is actually the youngest and vice versa. So again, you get, you know, John Hurt is younger than these other doctors, but um, this repeated thing of him, you know, being sort of embarrassed by how childish they act, you know, and, you know, right. do you have to talk like children and all this, like, timey-wimey and all this stuff. Um, <laughs> timey-wimey? I have no idea where he picks that stuff up. So, right. just throwing Matt Smith under the bus there, uh, as yeah. if he wasn't the first one to use the phrase. But, right, um, right. <laughs> uh, so, but I like, the one thing it always reminds me of is one of my favorite, um, C.S. Lewis quotes about, you know, that it's only, only, you know, youth is embarrassed by age and that this idea of growing up, like that that's a mark of adolescence, that like when you're in mm. your teens or your 20s, that's when you don't want to be associated with all that kiddie stuff. Whereas the older you get, you sort of grow past the point where you care how old sure. you are or how old you seem. And you know, again, I wouldn't argue that, you know, intentionality, but that, that theme kind of always reminds me of that, that you have this sort of very, very serious war doctor who's get a, got a very serious job to do, and he's taking it very seriously, and he doesn't have time for all this silly nonsense with pointing the screwdrivers and um, using the, right, but then he's standing right beside them doing the same but, thing. I mean, at one I mean, point. you do right. eventually realize that's a lot of big talk. That really, he's right. just another doctor, um, and eventually he grows to admire them. You know that by by the time they figure out the Zygon plot, he's talking about how they're, you know, he's putting them up on the pedestal of being the doctor, and that he's sort of not worthy to be numbered among them. Um, so I like this kind of, again, celebration of silliness that like he learns to grow up past that point, you know, and that there's right, actually right. something wise about these older, sillier doctors, you know, that they're kind of embracing life in a way that he is, you know, that rather than a mark of childishness, that's actually a mark of maturity for them. Like, you know, that, yeah that how kind of ridiculous they are is a sign of how doctorish they are and that that's a good thing. Um, yeah. Well, and I like that there's, there's a sort of stated reversal of that, even though like the theme that you talk that you mentioned there is definitely there. There's also like when he says to them, uh, what is it that makes you so ashamed of being a grown up? Oh, the way you both look at me. What is it? I'm trying to think of a better word than dread. And it's like the, the sort of the irony of that is that they're not ashamed of being grown up. Mm. They're ashamed of their younger self. Right. They're ashamed of what they did in the past. They're ashamed of their youth mm -hmm. in a way, um, even though you still, you know, however many hundreds sure, of years sure. old, like, it's it's that idea of that the shame isn't about being grown up. It's about what what they did before they were right. grown up right. in a way. And and that and that it's the event that the war doctor hasn't experienced yet, mm -hmm. which is what makes them grow yeah. up. I mean, that's you know that's a theme of war 
you know, history throughout literature and, and whatever, like, you know, that, you know, we talk about like, um, war literature in like the early 20th century Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the stuff that came out of that, you know, being more mature or more whatever, but then you also have Tolkien who is, you know, as much a war author as anyone. So, well, and you get, um, uh, you know, Tom Shippey, one of our favorites writing about how in the wake of post-war literature was really the full flowering of fantasy and science fiction, that that was, it was the experience of that, that, you know, these genres, which people think of as childish, um, are actually confronting things in a way that, you know, so-called serious literature, you know, not to say it doesn't confront those things, but it confronts them at least as much, if not more. Um, And then it was the experience of that kind of darkest day that caused that to happen in the culture. Um, Right. Right. Well, and there's also, so another of our favorites, Amy Sturgis has, has talked about how there's, scholars have sort of pointed out that there's a sort of an inverse relationship between like dystopian literature and sort of the cultural, you know, zeitgeist or whatever you want to call it that that's going on where, you know, when things are looking hopeful and whatever is when you get maybe more of this dystopian literature, but you know, when things are sort of darkest and whatever, people tend to turn towards the more cheery stuff Mm -hmm. and you know, that kind of thing. So there, there is sort of, it seems to be an inverse relationship there psychologically with literature and stuff, but also, so, you know, going back to Dr. Who, like that there's this, there's this idea of, yeah, the war, the war is what makes them grow up. But at the same time, like you said, part of that growing up is embracing the moment and, Mm. and not being so serious and not being so, uh, uh, you know, sort of looking down Mm -hmm. on other people for their own personal peccadilloes and silliness and right. whatever. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I like that. I like that idea and that, that he does start getting past it. Although again, he forgets his experiences right. here. So right. that's where you get nine coming. Well, and, and regenerates pretty much immediately. After. Immediately. Yeah. And the, the great line so, about, uh, I hope the ears are less conspicuous this time. <laughs> so, sorry, right, right. Elston. And you get the you get the first line, yeah, or one of the early lines of yeah. Chris Eccleston yeah, saying checking out about his ears. His ears. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I know that there's like real world yes things that went on with Eccleston not being a part of this production. We see images of him, yeah. but it's it they're like cropped from you know episodes and stuff. Yeah. Um, is, is this, we don't actually see the war doctor regenerate into nine. Mm-hmm. We just see the beginning of a regeneration. We do. I, if you look really carefully, you can see the beginnings of Eccleston's face. You can. In okay. There. So, and, and I, I will say for the record that Moffat invited him and he politely declined. So, you know, yeah, so that's the yeah, kind I, of real world just the stuff you have to like we all would have loved him to be there you know and it's just there's certain things you can't do anything about um but uh yeah you can i believe this is meant to lead into him because if you do look really closely it's clear enough that his face is in there um so i 
did not see that, but maybe I didn't look closely enough. So I will. I, you can probably go Google and, and find some freeze frames that are clearer, you know, but um, it is. Okay. I think. I, I, mean, I, mean, I, believe, I believe you. You know, I'm sure they could always, again, retcon that if they wanted to, but I think it's meant to be that. And especially with the joke about the ears, I think that's the clincher right. that we're leading right. right into nine here. Yeah, and and that was sort of my presumption yeah. too. But again, like it's like so now we have, like now we sort of have clear on screen regeneration line of succession. Yeah. From one to, well. Yes. Soon enough, twelve. Yes. <laughs> um, so okay, so that that was gonna that was my question basically was was whether or not that is either the assumption or or even if that was somewhere stated right. directly but right um right and and i mean i guess while we're on the subject we should just mention the appearance of capaldi's eyes which is like you know such a thrill and totally unexpected nobody knew that was coming and the first time i'm right i think in saying that a doctor has ever appeared before his official regeneration like that you ever get a glimpse of a doctor before his time um except for the except for the war doctor well in the chronology of like in the real world uh okay. in, in the real world context of doctor who fair enough um not fair. within the narrative itself um but within you know uh, for us as a viewing audience you know getting to see a doctor before his time i guess um well no but i mean because we saw we saw John Hurt before his regeneration. Um, that's at the well, end of the name true. of the doctor. That's true. Okay, I'm trying to think of how to state exactly what I'm trying to say. Then, um, I guess without the knowledge of the audience that it's coming, maybe if that makes sense. Like, you know, at least John Hurt, you know. So at this point, did, did people know that Matt Smith was on his way out? They did. And they knew that Capaldi was coming by this point. Um, but, okay. but nobody knew that his eyebrows were going to feature in the, in the episode. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Um, Fair enough. I, I guess I don't still see how that's different than um, John Hurt. At the end of Name of the Doctor, well, but and that's I think fine. It like, feels different too because to me, John Hurt is still Doctor as he is. He's still a guest star, you know. He's still, you know, and maybe that does a disservice. I don't mean it as a slight against John Hurt because I think he's really good, but like, he's not the lead in the series, you know. He's not the next Doctor who will be taking over the reins of the show, and so sure. there's a qualitative difference, you know, in, to me, it feels more of a shock to feed, to see Capaldi before his time. Um, yeah. What, one, one question I have, and I don't, I mean, I wouldn't expect that there's an answer to this or anything. So like we talked about how Eccleston was fairly like both, both in the series, you know, like he's only there one season, mm -hmm. but, uh, or one series or whatever, but also like in the sort of, right. Uh, timeline of the doctor he's he's pretty short i mean so also the war doctor is as well mm. um but i could almost see the war doctor 
having been the war doctor for longer than mm-hmm. Eccleston was. I think so. And then the ninth doctor was. I think so. Like, I, don't, I, think, I don't know um, if we get an actual, sorry. That's, that's I, what I think based on that line about, or um, when, when he regenerates and he looks younger, when they kind of grab an yeah, image of John right. Hurt that's, that's several decades younger. Um, so you, that's so my, even though that's my impression, even though you might not get John Hurt, uh, you know, appearing on screen as a doctor again, I could definitely see just because he's got such a great voice. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see some audio books, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. of like the war doctor. Period. Right. And I think they've um, released some books like there are books you can buy like of, novels. of war doctor yeah. stuff. Um, so, yeah. So I, and so I I'm not saying he's not a real doctor, but like. You know. No, no, I, I, I wasn't. I know, I know you're not trying to slight him in any way. I, I guess, I guess all I'm saying is that in in the show, I don't see, I don't see a big difference between him appearing at the end of Name of the Doctor and Capaldi's eyes mm. here. And maybe it is um, just the difference of, I, you know, uh, well, that's true. I mean, he is a shock at the end of Name of the Doctor, so maybe I should rethink that. But anyway. It was definitely. I, I'm also. I, it was. Def- I'm also not trying to like discredit you in any way either. I feel like I, I, I I'm not trying to attack your thesis. I'm just saying I don't see it. Okay. So that's all. Well, um, I certainly what I'll say is that nobody was expecting Capaldi, um, and that sure. was kind of a thrill when it happened. Um, sure. So. Um, okay. Uh, the other doctor, I do want to make sure we spend a few minutes on here, is the curator. Um, Another doctor who is not a doctor, but who is also kind of a doctor. Um, So... Right, there's sort of a vague hinting at who he is, but... I don't know, do you know the actor? Is this a familiar... Yeah, it's It's Tom Tom Baker. Baker. Okay, so, I mean, more than a little vague in in his face. Like, you know, so, and again, another... Right, I mean, I, right, I meant from yeah, like the the the, the spoken references right. are vague, right. They but never yeah, actually but, say. Um, but then again, we've seen Capaldi before as not the Doctor. So right, yeah. Well, yeah, this as is far a, this as, as, as I know. As oh, I mean, know. I mean, that's still an open <laughs> question. I think. Um, right, right, uh, right. Could that could have that been have another been the moment doctor? where the Doctor yeah, the was joke now, integrating with his own timeline? The joke now is: is he like? Is this the twelfth doctor trolling his former self of like <laughs> pretending to be somebody else when it's really him? But um, and and it could and be. We've seen we've seen that now the doctor is okay at least in some circumstances with going back and interacting with his self. Right, so right. like it's not like like this is sort of opening the door for that to be a possibility. Right, and um, and I want to point out that story the the fires of Pompeii is all about the time war and subtext. You know, it's all about, sure. it's all about, again, the 10th doctor saying, we can't do anything. And Donna saying, you have to do something, go save some people. And he goes, okay. Right. And then being the cause. And, and, and look who he saves. It's someone with a face, which is really familiar. So I think right. we can, <laughs> hopefully we'll maybe get to talk about that more in the future, but, um, hmm. but Spoilers. spoiler alert, maybe. Um, but okay. So, the curator you said recently i forget when something very something smart, very sure. smart which was 
is there any reason why the doctor couldn't go back and and redo oh. certain regenerations? And this would yeah, yeah. seem to be almost confirmation of that idea, you know? Like, so, yeah. yeah. I I forgot I said that. I was obviously very clever and present. Yeah. Um, I was like, not only is yes, that true, was... but you're going to find it out, like, really soon. <laughs> It was it was it, it was when we were talking about Night of the Doctor yeah. because the the idea being that um, if there was a way maybe not all the time but there seems to be some way uh, at least sometimes for the Doctor to be able to choose who he's going to be next mm. which brings up the question of if he really wants to be a ginger why can't he be a ginger <laughs> but um, Right, but again, yeah, no, that, I, again, I don't think he can control it all the time. He has right, to right all the know. time. Right, they, like there's certain circumstances. Right, or he needs a potion or whatever. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, something that which, that helps. Yeah, which even with with the eighth doctor there, that seemed to be a slightly taboo thing. So it's maybe like right, right. But in any case, it's another one of those rules that he's willing to break right, in certain right. circumstances. Um, he knows he can do it if he needs to. And he needed to at that point. But yeah, so the, the idea of being able to choose who you are opens the door of him maybe going back and becoming an, a, a former doctor as an older self or younger mm-hmm. self or whatever. Like that, you know, that taking on the same form is not sort of maybe the hindrance as it might have been believed to have been mm-hmm. uh, or assumed to have been uh, previously. So yeah, I forgot I said that, but you're right. Yeah. I did say that. Um, I'm very smart. You are. I, like as as the uh, as the war doctor says, uh, where does he say it now? Where did I write it down? Um, or maybe it wasn't him that says it. What, whichever doctor says, uh, we are incredibly clever. <laughs> uh, I forget which one has said it now, but I can't I can't find my quote. Oh, um, maybe eleven. Um, yeah, when they finally figure out about the door, right before Clara oh, right. opens He's like, it. <laughs> he, oh no, it's, it's no, it's near the end. I think when when he's when they're like saying goodbye, and he's like, or maybe it is when he's opening the door. I can't remember when it was. It's 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 either the past or the future or some point. Um, it's when he's saying, uh, yeah, given you know, given how much difference we have, yeah. which is odd, sort of in spite of the circumstances, yeah, yeah. we are at least incredibly clever. Right, right. Um, I thought that was at the end, but maybe I could be getting it wrong. Um, anyway. So... The... the We didn't talk about 10 much. We didn't. Um, I don't know how much we need to say about 10. Um, I like that we get the story of him... Uh, I, don't, I can't remember if I said this while recording or if it was before recording, but I like that we get the story of how he... Marries Queen Elizabeth, yeah. Um, which is kind of fun. That loop. And and we talked about so like if this if the tenth Doctor story is sort of one of the other frames or one of the other stories within a story, mm-hmm. um, I like how you have the War Doctor going off to be the ninth Doctor, but then you also have the tenth Doctor going off to face what is going to become his final mm-hmm. set of stories. Yep that leads up to his regenerating to the 11th. So, so in a way, if you're looking at the 11th doctor story here with the Zygons in modern day England, Mm -hmm. 
um, being and and you know Kate Stewart and all of that being sort of like this is this is where we all end up anyway. You kind of get that sort of hint too, where you have both the War Doctor you know regenerating at the end and the Tenth Doctor going off to what will ultimately like like you can almost see him stepping into the TARDIS and then arriving at the Ood right. planet, uh, you know, where, where he says the Ood Sigma, mm-hmm. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Like, okay, right. I'm and, here. And, You've been calling me. And maybe not knowing why he's ready, but, but subconsciously but this is, or something, something has ready right because, him. yeah, because we know that he's, that he forgets this stuff right. fairly soon afterwards. And so it might not be, it might be sort of still fresh in his mind when he starts going there, but even by the time that he gets there, right, he might already be forgetting it and just saying, "Okay, I've been running too long. I'm ready now." Um, now, there's a few minor things because then he come out with like a lay around his neck or something like that. Right. So yeah, I, maybe yeah. you know, I don't know. Maybe he does one or two other like slight things before right. doing that. But like, but definitely, there's the sense that this is this is the thing that prepares yep. him for for what he needs to go through next. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I in, like the way it, 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 again, not only does it not contradict, but it even enhances that story. Like it, it gives you a bit more insight retrospectively, mm-hmm. you know, obviously that's not yeah. what was there in the, on yeah. the first viewing, but on subsequent viewings, then you can kind of fill in those gaps. Um, and it, it mm. makes for an even smoother story, I think. Um, the other thing I want to say about 10 too, is that, uh, you know, besides kind of being that point along the spectrum, you know, I think a purpose of doing a multi-doctor thing and especially having a doctor that, you know, so not a new character like the war doctor, but having tenant back is really what you want is doctors making fun of each other. You know, that that's kind of the point (laughs) of doing multi-doctor, you know, so you know, I mean, I think we loved the 10 met five adventure, which was like a five minute thing. Um, and this yeah, is just sure. like an, an hour long expansion of that idea. And so, sure. um, you know, which again, I think is kind of exactly what you want to be watching. So in the midst of all the serious, you know, life shaking drama, you just get, you know, them, you know, taking the Mickey out of each other and, you know, calling each other names and even even when they're not together, everything is about invoking and kind of making fun of the older doctors. So like, you know, he has this little machine that goes ding, you know, which kind of recalls, you know, uh, you know his timey-wimey detector and, um, you right. know, and his speech to the rabbit is sort of a parody of his speech of I'm the doctor from Gallifrey, I'm 900 years old and all that, you know, but it deflates right. at the end because it's to a rabbit. Um, and yeah so it's like everything is there to kind of you know both remind you of the doctor and to kind of like poke fun at it too um which is what they did with you know peter davison when they brought him back was to kind of make fun of the celery and uh you know all that kind of thing um um and and yeah and the interaction between them so you get like you said the timey wimey mm -hmm. Uh, aspect but you also get him calling matt smith chinny right, right. you know and and, the and about um, the screwdrivers like who's uh, is bigger and right 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 you right know. compensating for yeah. something uh right and and uh and matt smith like 
telling him, oh, I'm not judging about you kissing a Zygon. Like, right. you know, like, there's no, you yeah. know, uh, uh, like, hey, it's, you know, it's all good, whatever you're, whatever you're doing. So, like, there are those moments. Um, but then also, like, the moments where it sort of pings all three of them at the yeah. same time. So, like, where you get Clara just opening the door to the tower. And they're, like, none of them, the three of them all together, they were so intent on talking and arguing with each other and kind of doing their own thing. Like, you have, you know, Eleven over there scratching his code into the wall. Right. Uh, which is pointless because they could have just opened the door. Right, right. right. Um, you know, I mean, like, it gets Clara into the mix, but it's, like, you didn't need to actually send a message back because the door was open Right, all right. None of them thought um, to, to try you it. You get the war doctor. I like, I like his line like, about, it should have been locked. <laughs> like, right, it's not our fault, it's their fault. They didn't lock the door. Right. Um, you get the war doctor kind of doing his, like, analytical stuff. And you get, uh, you know, 10 sort of being broody off yeah, to the right. side. Yeah, like, pacing, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, whatever. Um, and But then also the realization from Eleven that, you know, oh, this is what I, it just occurred to me. This is what I do when I'm alone. Right. And I, like, but you are alone in a way. Like, you're there with your older selves um, and your past selves. So, no, definitely, definitely a lot of fun. Right, and, um, and even when the further it goes on, the more in sync they start to be. Like, when... 10 and yeah. 11 are, you know, at the, crossing their feet at the same time and like, you yeah. know, um, or flipping their, yeah. uh, like they do you know, flipping their screwdrivers and putting it away. Right. They do yeah. everything exact. So like you get these moments where they're on the same page and they're totally right. thinking as one and everything. Right. Um, or like, or like, yeah, they both say the same thing and then they like each other like, right. oh, yeah, or, or put the on the glasses. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I love that moment when they just interrupt each other to go, oh, nice glasses. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, or, you know, when they both, who are you talking to? Myself. And then they both kind of just smile at each other like, oh, we made a joke. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other one I really love and quote with some frequency is the round things. Um, you know, the jokes about, oh, it's the round things. I love the round things. What are round yeah. things? No idea. Um, no idea. It, it, kind of that uh, homage to the classics, but also the kind of bemusement of like, what were we thinking? We don't know, but we love it. Um Right. And uh and then also pointing out the um the repeated joke of, Oh, you've redecorated, I don't like it. Um that's always what right. new doc old doctors say to new doctors. Um they never approve sure. of the new, you know. Or calling tens his grunge phase, <laughs> the old dimly lit, you know, TARDIS, you know, it's his grunge phase, right. he grows out of it. Um, right. um I also like to when uh when the war doctor sort of trolls them both at the end is like, now which one's mine? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like he's a, like a senile old man. Yeah. I can't remember which is actually is. And he just kind of like, ha and laughs and walked yeah. away. Um, so yeah, no, you, the, the interaction is definitely nice. And, and I think, you know, for all the stuff we've talked about already, um, and we've talked a lot. We have, you know, uh, the last thing I have to say, about, just because I can't not point this out is that the 10th doctor's last line remains. I don't want to go. So, uh, sure. Just he's a, he always, he says, always that. says that. Um, which, <laughs> says, which of course, so some kind this of is before. Yeah. This is before the right. other time that he says right. that, but it's it's that it's that thing that the eleventh doctor remembered. Right. Yeah. I so I think I mean I I like that they have the tenth doctor there, and I like that they I like how they integrate the story, you know, the Queen Elizabeth story, mm -hmm. and and make it feel like this is something. Because that that is one of 
the time like you get at the end of waters of mars him going off yeah and not you know uh going to the call mm-hmm. of the ood right away um but then like in our time like we don't see what he does between right. there so it it never felt like maybe there was more time in between than there really was mm-hmm. but i like the sense that like he's just in this place you know he just gets married to queen elizabeth because he's running away from other things and it's like which is kind of like the opposite of you know you normally think about getting married it's like people tend to run away like from the altar because they don't want to get married but but what does the doctor do of course the doctor is avoiding other things so he goes and gets married married. right right. (laughs) yeah um but then that but that it's the very thing that you know causes him to help out with all this other Mm -hmm. stuff and that he that he needs to do um you know to go to go to where he needs to go as the 10th doctor, not just as like his past self. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, the other minor thing though, too, is that it appears. I, I guess, I, I guess I'm not entirely sure where it is that they forget from mm. because Matt Smith remembers the time thing opening. Right. And throwing his fez through. Right. So he's like, Oh, this is where I come. Right. Like he seems to remember that part of it, but not, Maybe it's maybe it's like the jumping through. That's kind or of something. I've read it as like it's familiar, but as soon as he starts interacting with himself, he loses track. Like he he kind of right. seems like I know where this is going, but as soon as they start talking to each other, suddenly what happens next? I don't know. <laughs> you know. And I almost wonder if that's a function of like that could be a function of a number of things. It could be like maybe like maybe it is his jumping through so like the from the moment he jumps through like the mo in the moment is kind of in control mm-hmm. and so it can take away those memories right, at that point right. or maybe maybe it is the face to face with himself like maybe there's a time lord mechanism like built in you know biological thing that like once you're done interacting with yourself you don't remember and so yeah. like it doesn't affect your time stream as much or something like some sort of safeguard. Like I suppose there are a number of ways you could sort of, uh, you know, talk about how that does it. But, but at least, at least he remembers the Fez because he does seem to be like, Oh, this is, this is something I'm supposed to do, even though he doesn't seem to remember what happens after that. Right. Um, right. Plus you get 10 in a Fez. So. Yeah. Um, so okay, well, um, we are. I I'm sure we could keep talking over. for a long time. Yeah. Um, Is there anything else yeah. really essential that? Um... I don't think so. I mean, I think the stuff with Kate Stewart and like Osgood and stuff mm-hmm. like that that's nice for like some parallel mm-hmm. stuff going on. I don't know that it's incredibly important. No, I um, I agree. I mean, it it's. It's there, obviously, for the Zygon plot. It's nice to have, again, in the spirit of celebration, having the presence of Unit and the presence of the Brigadier through Kate, I think, is kind of nice, you know, even though it's not maybe the most interesting part. Um, And And Osgood, I just want to point out, because we will see her again. So she she becomes one of this recurring Unit team. Um, And just her as this incarnate Doctor Who fan of, like, she wears the, yeah. the, the, the scarf right, the and scarf. she, yeah. and she has read all his, she's sort of another Malcolm. She's one of these unit 
Doctor fans um, who, sure. who just is beside herself to get to work with him. So, right. um, but also smart and capable. Like oh, she, you know, yeah. pull, pulls the the um, scarf out from underneath the zygon right. and kind of right. runs off and and um, and even at the end, like you know, when she and the zygon Osgood yeah. sort of figure out who is who, right. like she's, she doesn't say anything. She she doesn't. Yeah. Right. Right. She's so she's compassionate too that she covers for sure. the like she could say, "Oh, I know I'm human and you're Zygon," but she just says Shh, she doesn't say anything. You know, we'll just keep that between right. us. So. Right. Um. Okay. So interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have necessarily expected to see her again, but that's that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. And also, we get the call out to Jack. Yeah. Uh, the, with the with the vortex right. manipulator on the occasion of and, his death, and, well, one of them anyway. Um, and the you know, oh, it was seeded to us on his on his death. Well, one of them anyway. <laughs> and yeah. like like this idea that like, I mean, he's had so many. Like, who knows? Right. You know where and when. And like, obviously, there's the whole implication that he's the face of Bo. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, who knows? Like maybe when he becomes the face is when he gives right, it up right. or whatever. Like, like when he no longer has what, arms to to use right, it with. Right, <laughs> right, or or need to use it. Right. Um, so yeah, lots of little stuff like that that are also nice little references. Yeah. Um, that would have been a nice little uh, comeback to to see Barrowman again. Oh, but, we um, would all love to see Barrowman. Come on, Moffat, get on it. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, understand like you can only stuff so yeah. much into it. No, and I think the episode is better for being somewhat controlled. Like again, it yeah. wouldn't be better if you just shoved everyone in there. I think you have to be sort of careful about not right. overdoing it. Right. Um, okay. So well. I, I mean, obviously, in, interested to see where we go from here. Yeah. Um, it sounds. It sounds like you liked the episode, which is good. Um, I did. I did like the episode. I thought it was very well done. Um, good. So yeah. I'm glad. Let's. Uh, but let's move on <laughs> to uh, an episode I personally am not a huge fan. Okay. of. Okay. Well, but, yeah. We um, don't have to. We can talk. We've. We can talk through it. We've overdone it a little bit on Doctor Who. So. Um, yeah, and I don't want to go from. I think we've praised both shows enough that, you know, we can be honest. I don't want to just go from praising Doctor Who to bashing this episode of Angel. But, you know, it, it it's not it's not their strongest. Um, no. And it's, it's true. I mean, we talked about potentially some reasons why that might be. You mentioned that there's a new writer, so maybe it's just a growing pains yeah. kind of thing. Um, I mentioned that I... There's something about the this uh, guest actor that plays Bethany that um, it's not just her vibe. There's a there's an actual acting thing that um, <laughs> is not quite doing it for me, and I'm not quite if maybe just sure. you know she's just not quite strong enough or something. Um, and you know, weirdly enough, you mentioned that this is the. Um, this this is a Joss Whedon directed episode, which it's the first episode this season of Buffy or Angel that he's written or directed, um, and it's the first time that he is directing something that somebody else wrote rather than his own material, and it just seems yes. like a very odd choice to me because 
this really isn't um, you expect with him to get the big important episodes. So either the premiere or the finale or, you know, one that he wrote or that has something really important in it, you know, by in terms of the characters or the mythology or whatever. Um, but this is just sort of your average episode, it seems to me. So um, I, it makes me really curious why this one. Um, so Yeah. So, okay, a number of things there. So, yes. Yeah, so first of all, this is uh, the first episode we get from uh, Mir Smith, or Mare Smith. Um, not sure how to pronounce it. It, it. So apparently her name is actually Meredith, but she goes by Mare or Mare, oh, okay. um, M-E-R-E. Um, so a little bit about her. She was actually, um, through the first season of Angel, she was the script coordinator, which is, um, from what I understand, a, a fairly junior position. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like a liaison between like the writing and the production department mm-hmm. um, does some like annotations and stuff. But um, so this is actually, I guess would be considered a promotion for her mm-hmm. um, to a staff writer. And this is sort of her first credited um, writing role. She also, uh, she's also written. So she wrote um, in the same year in 2001, she wrote for the enforcers, which was a, TV miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I never saw it, so I don't, I couldn't tell you um, how good it is. Um, but it does have some other uh, Whedon uh, uh, people in it. So, um, like, it has Amber Benson, who plays Tara and Buffy. Mm-hmm. Um, it has, has Andy Hallett, who plays the host here in Angel. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, so I don't I I've not seen it, but I mean there are there are some other connections there, and she, uh, Mayor Smith, wrote for it. Um, she goes on to write for uh, the next several seasons of Angel. I I think I had originally said through the end she actually writes through season four. She doesn't write in season five, mm-hmm. um, but she is um, also during during that time she becomes like a you know, the story editor and, and, and that kind of stuff. So she, she actually does take on a number of story related roles. She's gone on to, um, write for shows like the TV, uh, like the miniseries Rome, the HBO series. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, she was a producer and I think she wrote one episode for burn notice, uh, which was a pretty decent, um, TBS TNT, one of mm-hmm. those shows. Um, which I, I enjoyed that show, but you know, it, it's not, it's like, it's a very different show. Yeah. Um, and she only wrote an episode for it. So it's not like a lot. I, she, she's seems to have gone more in the production route than the writing route. Mm-hmm. So a lot of her credits since then are, are in that area. Okay. Um, uh, but that said, she does have, uh, a number of writing and story editor, uh, credits for angels. So, um, she definitely, you know, we'll see, we'll see more of her work. Um, you know, as with any, any writer, you don't always want to judge their first attempt, uh, you know, as, you know, good or bad or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I mean, I'm definitely, this isn't my favorite episode that may or may not be her fault. I do. I agree with you. Like there is something about the actress. It is weird that Whedon, this is actually the only episode in either Buffy or Angel that Whedon 
directs but didn't write. Mm -hmm. um, there are several episodes that go the other way that he writes but doesn't direct. Right. Uh, but this is the only one. And I don't, I mean, that maybe, maybe that's just a result of this story. Maybe he really just wanted to do this story right. for some reason and no one else would do it. <laughs> or maybe, maybe it's an availability thing or maybe, you know, it, it might not, whatever. It, this is actually, uh, you know, in Angel overall, Whedon um, does less writing and directing just in general. Right. Um, this is the only uh, episode this uh, season that he directs. Um, he has two other uh, episodes that he that he has a story that he has a co-story writing episode or credit with um, David Greenwald, but he doesn't write any on his mm. own this season. Um, and in each season, he only does one, really one episode, except for the final season where he's got where, where he's got a few. So, okay. um, very. Very much an oddity on a number of yeah. levels from sort of a production standpoint. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know why he yeah. decided to direct this, but you know, without writing it, um, I, I can only guess. But anyway, that that's neither here nor there. Uh, that I think is really all. Oh, the actress Daisy McCracken uh, plays Bethany. Um, another one. She doesn't have a ton of stuff. What she does have are are sort of bit character roles. Um, she did she did do a few movies. Um, I don't I don't know what part she played in them. So like for example, she was in Three Thousand Miles to Graceland, which also came out in two thousand one. Mm -hmm. um, so same year as this, or or actually sorry, this is still two thousand. This is the end of two thousand that this episode aired. Um, she was in like one of the Halloween movies you know one of the reboot movies um mm -hmm. uh she was in atlas drugged so i i mean none of these are like classic sure uh you know whatever you know other episodes uh, she's been in episodes of like cold case and uh uh the division which isn't an, a show i've ever watched so you know things like that mm -hmm. like hasn't really gone on to do um much notable um stuff so Okay. Take that for what it's worth. Sure. Um, sure. You know. Yeah. Anyway, we can talk about the episode okay. itself. I, I, I don't, like, I wouldn't want to blame the writing or the actress yeah, individually because, for this episode. Because that's I guess, cryptic, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, well, and I feel like, I feel like there's a number, like, I feel like even just the story, which, it, it, you know, I mean, the story in, in, in a series like this is always going to be worked out by the writer, you know, staff writers at large right. before, so you know, not, one particular writer goes off. And I feel like there's... It's not any one particular person's... Yeah. I, I, I feel like there's enough wrong with this episode that, like, it should have been perhaps either put on hold or, or re, redone from a higher level than, right. than sort of um, the writer's fault or anything like that. But we can we can go through it a bit and see what we come up with. Okay. Well, so where would you like to begin? Let's start with let's start with Bethany and her story um before we get into the the characters that we know. Um so I guess this is kind of one of those um more metaphor of the week type things of where you're getting kind of a bit of magic that's analogous to a real world issue. Um and in this case 
it's sort of a carryish thing of, you know, mm-hmm. how trauma leads to uncontrollable telekinetic, you know, abilities in, you know, a young woman. So, um, yeah. Or a fire starter is like the other okay. Stephen. So King. maybe that's part of it, that it's not a particularly innovative idea. You know, it's like, it's been done before and been done a little bit better. Um, but, uh, in any case, so, um, you get this, you know, I guess kind of one, one aspect of it that is interesting is this subversion, whether or not they do it successfully. I think there's an interesting idea in there of the, the character who you think of as kind of meek and innocent turns out to not be, you know, that you have her, um, presented in the context of this sort of victim, you know, Cordy talks about how um, scared that she can feel that she is. um, And, you know, you have these guys chasing her down a street, trying to attack her and everything. Um, Mm. And, uh, you know, and everybody in the episode kind of continually underestimates, you know, her ability and treats her like this kind of scared little girl. but the further it goes on, you kind of realize that she's actually quite dangerous. That, you know, she can smash these guys against the wall with, you know, the dumpster. Um, and even starts to kind of not just, I mean, even that could just be a reflexive, self defensive thing, but she actually becomes aggressive as it goes on. You know, that she, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of, and that was one of the things that kind of. I have to be honest, kind of bugged me about the character was just her conversations with Angel of how kind of overly defensive she was and sort of, uh, you know, um, you know, every time, you know, okay, I don't want to talk about your feelings. Okay, well, clearly you have some issues going on. Like everybody who protests that they don't want to talk about their feelings. It's like, you know, what what's really if you don't want to talk about mom and dad? Okay, what did mom and dad do and all that kind of thing? you know, a little bit on the nose and heavy handed, I guess, um, with Mm. her characterization. But, uh, you know, I thought it was kind of interesting how you have someone who seems like a total victim and then about halfway through, she's putting the moves on Angel and trying to sort of, you know, get into bed with him and everything. Um, And so there is kind of an interesting comment there of, of this connection between being victimized and um you know the ways that that can make you behave that you can become this sort of self-destructive yeah. person and you, you you know you can kind of maybe she's been sexually abused but now she goes and hangs out at clubs by herself where she's going to attract these guys or she tries to get angel to do stuff you know even though he's not wanting to and you know there's potentially some interesting you know Again, even if it's heavy-handed, yeah. there's some, I guess, ideas well, there. And I think I think you could see that, too, in sort of the potential for a vicious cycle. So, like, obviously, you know, her coming on to Angel doesn't uh, work. You know, right. he sort of rebuffs her or whatever. But, like, you could see, like, if that happened with someone else, like, then they almost are the ones being victimized. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know do they turn around and go do that to someone else and, and so on right. and so forth. So like there is, there's a potential there. I think 
I think I would have found it a little more interesting if they had followed maybe that track mm-hmm. of it versus this, um, you know, the way they did it here. Uh, and I like, I like the conversation that Cordy has with mm-hmm. her, which is sort of a no nonsense. Like, I know you're not meaning to, but this is the effect that you're having. Right. And so, and I, and that's, that's definitely the right person to have that conversation with right. her. Like, I, I like that that's a Cordy conversation and not like a Wesley or an angel conversation. Right. Right. Um, Cause it's not when, as patronizing as it would be if it was coming from them. I right. Think. Right, because, well, and one, because, I mean, obviously it's back to Cordy's sort of real talk, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. no filters. Tell it like it is, uh, yeah. I think the other thing, though, is that, you know, because like Cordy says, like, she was there. She understands that it's not, this isn't like someone just going out and being mean or someone going out and intentionally victimizing mm-hmm. or preying on other people. You know, Bethany was legitimately scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and even Cordy's like, you know, I, I, I believe those guys are better smushed, you know, like, right. like, you know, they were vermin. They were going to hurt you. They were terrorizing you. And we find out later sort of the, you know, Wolfram and Hart put them up right. to it and whatever. But, um, but also that idea of like, and I think maybe this is what you were getting at too, was that like, just because you're a victim doesn't mean you can do anything you want to other people mm-hmm. like that. You know, there, there is an appropriate response and there's an inappropriate response and you killing people because you were hurt when you were younger is not an appropriate response, you know? And I, I agree with you. I think the message is sort of heavy handed, but that seems to me like, like the moments at least with Cordy where, you know, there's kind of the two of them alone, mm-hmm. at least seems to me like, like it also seems like it's about to work too. Like that Cordy right. actually is getting through to her, but then of course she gets kidnapped and right. whatever. And, and in the long run, I think it, I mean, it does kind of work because she does avoid killing her father. Right. She throws him out a window right. <laughs> But she does, you know, Bethany does avoid killing her father and does, you know, pack up and leave Lila. So, like, there is progress and they do help her in the end. Um, And I think a lot of that has to do with Cordy more than Angel even. But I, I, I do agree with you that it's kind of heavy handed. It's kind of a little too straightforward. And, and, and her, yeah, her reactions are a little bit, or her conversations with angel are a little bit weird Mm -hmm. um so i yeah i don't know how how long to belabor that sure Um, well i mean and i guess so the other uh thing to talk about it too is um the kind of surprise of when you know she goes home and lila's there and the fact that she has this you know relationship with uh with lila which i wasn't expecting and um you know it's kind of presented as this nice like mentor relationship, but also there's this like kind of creepy undercurrent of like, we know Lila's allied with, you know, these, this kind of CD company don't really know what she's up to and why is she, you know, trying to make herself ingratiate herself with this impressionable young person, you know? So, um, you know, there was that kind of, 
there's that opening there of maybe it's not, you know, you know, maybe it's totally uh, innocent, but you know, the further it goes on, it's definitely not. I mean, you get the hints of it with um, just the fact of Lila like kind of staring at her while she's in bed, you know, so like, so she's, so yeah. she's there to kind of get smashed with the lamp, but like with, with, with the parallel of, of Angel, Angel and, and Darla. Darla. Yep. And so yeah. you get like yeah. a weird kind of sexual predator vibe to that of like, oh, yeah. you know, this is like a violation and it's, it's, you're right. Like it's totally inner cut. So you're supposed to sort of relate one thing to the other. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then we find out explicitly that they're kind of working to make her into this sort of another weapon of theirs, another assassin, um, mm. you know, another person who has dangerous abilities and is kind of, you know, vulnerable enough that they can manipulate into one of their tools. Um, and it doesn't work, yeah. but, you know, that seems to be Lila's job. And I get the impression the way they talk about like that she met her while she spoke at her high school. Um, yeah. I get the impression that Lila goes on these little recruitment tours around to yep. high schools, you know, like she no, goes I, on like I speaking think... tours and picks the like really the kids that have like magical ability and like are totally messed up and are looking to be exploited, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Well, and it it's almost like the opposite of that. Um, you know, Invisible Girl episode way back right, in, yeah. in the early Buffy series where, where like the government came in and was like, okay, we'll, we'll take care of this. But then like actually takes her and like teaches her and is like helping her out and stuff. Yeah. Whereas this is clearly a different thing. Right. And, and I think they're so, so yeah, they're still recruiting assassins to try to kill Angel. And we, you know, we find out that like Lindsay is doing his thing, and, you know, with Darla, whatever, like that there's some, some, long game going on yeah. there um and we don't know entirely what it is although we can sort of guess and we can talk a little bit about what happens this episode but um yeah i think totally we're supposed to be thinking that lila is like i mean lila's a successful powerful you know person you know woman in a uh law firm you know a powerful law firm so of course like she's going to be you know, people are going to be happy to have her come speak at their school right. and, you know, do this and whatever. And so it does put a little bit of a, uh, creepy tone on, on that sort on that, just that whole process of like, you know, things like how much certain people get paid to like speak at commencement, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, things like that. Like, you know, yeah. Right. Okay. Like, they might they be really good and yeah. smart and popular, but there's also sort of the, self-aggrandizing side of it and and what's going on there um well and like so I, I think the ulterior motive of like you know so now bethany has reached out to this stranger you know and gone to live with her like how kind of right. what is she exposing herself to um yeah um the other the other aspect being that i feel like this is another escalation sort of in that in that attempt to kill angel whereas before and even up to and including Darla, like you're you're finding people who are like killers for hire. So even like Faith, right. you know, is like like there's something that she needs and so she's willing to do it yeah. because she needs it and Angel turns away. And then there's that other like 
gross alien demon thing that they hire that like angel kills. Mm -hmm. And then like, now you have Darla, which, you know, all right, it's a little more subtle. Like angel doesn't know that this is going on really, even despite his sort of sleep problems, but this is another like evil being Mm -hmm. that they've recruited. But now you get this, this girl who has these powers, but isn't like, she's not evil. Like things have happened to her and, and, she's trying to make her way in the world kind of thing, but this isn't like an evil person or an evil creature, monster demon thing, you know, going after this. And she doesn't even know that she's going after anything. And I think that's the sort of creepy escalation to it all is that you have Lila. It's more like, like she even says, like, you know, the, the girl's a time bomb. Like, they're they're just, like, sort of putting her in the same room with Angel and seeing what's going to happen. Right, and who cares and, what the collateral damage is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So so I think that, in a way, this is an escalating moment where, and and to some extent, that's based on Lila's sort of desperation because there is this sort of internal rivalry between her and Lindsay mm-hmm. that clearly isn't going as well as she would like it to be. Like, Lindsay is sort of doing a better job right. and even like Holland we get you know we get the moments where Holland's like sort of chastising her for being sloppy or whatever mm-hmm. and not like like actively hindering Lindsay's work right so um right because it causes Angel to <clears throat> stop sleeping so right yeah right whereas Lindsay needs him to right. sleep you know so that Darla can keep get feeding him these dreams or whatever and so I mean I and I feel like there's even some metatextual stuff there because you know it's you know, a woman in the workplace who's, you know, getting sort of shot down while the guy is like having all his ideas, like, 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 you know, she's, she, she's the one who's sort of suffering that. I feel like there's some interesting stuff that could be said about that, Mm. but they don't, (laughs) they just kind of leave it there sort of at the suggestive stuff and, and focus on Bethany and, um, and yeah. So, you know, I mean, we can see where where any of that goes. I, I think one of the other things that I dislike about this episode is because I do see some potential for some more interesting developments that they just don't take. It's not like, like I don't think anything they do is necessarily wrong or bad mm-hmm. or whatever. It's just like, I feel like they could have like ratcheted it up one level on in a couple of areas. Mm-hmm. Um because the other thing that I feel like is there's not really anything mythological that happens in this episode. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, here you are at the beginning of season two, when you've already done some heavy mythological stuff in season one and, you know, along with some um, pretty decent, but, you know, basic uh, metaphor of the week type stuff. And now you're going back, like this is almost season one Mm -hmm. or early season two of Buffy uh, myth or metaphor of the week type stuff. And not not as much as you would expect from Angel, which is, you know, only the second season of Angel. But the writers and the producers and stuff are all have already been through like four seasons of Buffy. So like, you know, you you, like you should be at a point where you can do a little bit more with an episode, I feel like, than than Mm -hmm. maybe they did here. Right. And we get Um, some we get some Darla stuff, but nothing that I don't think anything that tells us anything we didn't already know other than. Right. Maybe a bit more clarification of, okay, she kind of really is there and she uses this powder to keep him asleep. So it's not just a dream like she really is. But like we kind of suspected that anyway. It's just sort of... We we already pretty much knew that. Um, You know, other than that, I don't think there's even really... um, 
I mean, the I dreams mean, with with Darla and Angel are getting more violent. Seems to be like, sure more one intense. Thing that yeah. is, that's one thing that seems more clear. To, it's like they're not just like lounging by the pool anymore. Now it's like fantasies about biting each other and biting this girl and all this kind of right. thing. Um, so we're getting right. Right. closer to like the, the danger threshold, I guess. Um, and, and you know, in context with like the theme of the episode, like, you know, the sexual aspect right. of that is is somewhat disturbing too because you're seeing Angel as this sort of sexual predator right. in his dreams. Right. You right. know, which Although is the victim of Darla in a way, you know, like he's right. Doing, she's right. doing things to him that he that are against his knowledge, you know. Um, but but there's that there's going back to that fear of like that he remembers all the stuff that he did yeah. and that at one point he enjoyed it. at least he, he was enjoying this type of behavior. Yeah. Even if even if the actual events of these dreams never happened, things like them happened, right. you right. know, while they were together is, is sort of the implication I think that we're meant to see. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I guess a further a continuation too of how, much other than when he stops sleeping you know he is uh sleeping more and more and more that he basically is up for like three hours every day and then the rest of the time so he's totally succumbed to you know the these dreams again whether or not it doesn't seem clear that he's remembering them when he he doesn't seem like disturbed by them you know like after he wakes up but but right. he gets up late at night and then goes to bed immediately. So, um, you know, and getting and really defensive when confronted about this, you know, like if Cordy mentions, well, you just got up, he kind of snaps at her that like, you know, just do your job and I'll do mine, right. except that he's not doing his job. You know, Cordy and Wesley are doing more and more of the work and he's hardly doing anything. Right. And they're having to stay up later to compensate for right. that, too. Right. Um yeah, I mean, like you said, like, I don't think there's anything new we learn about. But yeah, like, there does seem to be a progressiveness to it. Like, there's an escalation to that as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, okay, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else with uh, Cordy or Wesley that we need to? Um, no, I mean, other than, I, I mean, there's a few callbacks. So like, you know, there's that there's that discussion they have um, in the beginning where, you know, they're like sort of arguing about gun and whether or not to pay him. And, you know, Wesley's like, uh, you know, at least I opened the book and Cordy's like, well, I, I was in top 10% right, of right. my class. So I think that just a reminder of that, like, there's more as much as like we talk than, about than meets the yeah, eye, Cordy yeah. being like the pretty one or the one with the visions, like that she actually is smart mm -hmm. too. Like it's not just, it's not just that she's pretty and, and has visions, but right. that there's an intelligence there that even now, like even Wesley isn't like sort of giving her credit. Right. For and an um, and like an emotional intelligence, strange to call Cordy emotionally intelligent, but like her with her insight into people, you know, not always the most tactful, but like she right. knows she, she picks up on the vibes of Bethany better than the others do. Um, whereas, yeah. Wesley is again more of that book knowledge of okay if yeah. he's the one to put the pieces together about you know statistically you know the most likely scenario is this so I'll press these buttons and see what happens um 
Right. So he's more and, of a scientist and even, that way. Even with him, though, like we we learn that you know there are limits to that. Like he doesn't know much about telekinesis. He's like, oh, I, well, right, I know. Right. It's the power of moving things with your mind, right. and that's pretty much but it. But he knows and how that, to research. He knows where to go to get that information. Right, right, right. So his skills are that he can look things up. Right. <laughs> um, Which is a handy skill to have. It's a handy skill. I'm Hey, we're academics. We we are okay with that skill. But it's, it, you know, it, it is that thing of... It's book smart rather than street smart. He's not... Well, and it's book smart, but it's also like that he's looking, that he's sort of looking down on Cordy, but Cordy can look things up too. Right, like that's we've true. even seen like, that's true. In some know, ways her skills are far more valuable because you, you can't, you can't teach insight, you know, the same way that you right. can teach. And research. like, like there was the, I, I forget which episode it was, but there was like, you know, like she looks up in the police database, something that like Wesley was trying to find in a newspaper or something or a book. And right. you know, like she finds it faster. So just, you know, things like that, like, you know, that, that there is a tension there, but like we do, I mean, and not that I think either of us forget this, but I think this is just sort of the show's way of reminding us that like, there's more to Cordy than meets the eyes or meets the mouth or whatever, you know? Um, Okay. And, uh, oh, and one of the, the other thing is the, the callback to her getting impaled. Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. With the, with the rebar. Um, I don't know that it's a huge, uh, a huge, you know, character development thing, except for when you remember the circumstances around yeah. it, it was during, it was during Lover's Walk, right. that episode. Right. And it was right after she found right. um, uh, Xander, uh, Xander and, Willow, and yeah. Willow kissing yeah. and she runs out. And so, right. and it's, it's, she breaks up with Xander at that point. Yeah. Um, right. And so there's sort of a defining moment there and, and the callback to that, like, of course, this is, this is a memorable moment to her. And, right. you know, um, and in the context I, of this discussion with Bethany about, you know, romantic things get more complicated, like, sure. you know, Cordy is experienced with stuff like that. Like she's had relationships that didn't end well and all that kind of thing. So she actually yeah. knows what she's talking about. Um, but I was also going to say that, like, I think it also parallels, like, so in that conversation, you know, where she's talking with Bethany about, like, you know, I was there because I had the vision. I knew what you experienced. She also has that same connection to Angel of, okay, maybe it's one particular thing getting impaled with a rebar, but it's another reminder of Cordy has more experience and intelligence mm-hmm. and, like you said, emotional intelligence of than maybe we always remember to give her credit for. So there's, there is this just, again, these reminders of her complexity uh, in those uh, areas. But again, I don't know, like that's not Not, not anything that we didn't know already. So, I mean, it's nice that we get those reminders. I don't know that we needed this episode in particular to tell us that. Um, I don't have anything really else that I wanted to cover honestly okay. in this episode. The only last thing I want to touch on is uh, Gunn is now getting paid sure. for his work. So I guess he's more officially a freelance member of the group in any any rate. So, right. Um, right. He's not like salaried, right. but he's sort of on retainer. Right, right. right. He's a consulting, um, you know. Uh, and And I like that there's that whole debate about how offended he might be. And he's just like, like totally okay, shrugs cool. it off. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Nice. 
Right, those sort of culture gaps of like, you know, like they, they imagine him having all of these, you know, uh, e you know, opinions of kind of personal pride that he just did, wouldn't even occur right. to him. Um, right. So, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, obviously he still has his gang and stuff. Like we get the reference that he, you know, they made him this axe thing out of like an old right, right. wheel hub or whatever. But like... You do get this, like, we see them more, or we see them less and less. I almost said more and more less. <laughs> we see them less and yeah. less. Um, and and just the idea that he seems to be helping them out more. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, on a more regular basis. Enough to the point where it becomes an issue of, like, that, they're, that they want to pay him. And, yeah. And all of that. Um, so. So, yeah. Anyway, I'm... Like I said, I'm not incredibly uh, thrilled with this episode. Like, it's not, it's certainly not on my list of favorites or anything, but I don't, I, I don't think, I also don't want to give the impression I think it's a terrible episode either. Like, it's not. Sure. It, it, it just is, it is what it is. I think it's more like it would have been a better, maybe early season one episode yeah. than, than a early season two episode. Yeah, but. we've, we've grown past it a little bit. Speaking of growing up, yeah. we've grown past things. Yeah. Um, but we'll we'll get into some better better uh episodes here and and i'll just i'll to, i'll give a little teaser ooh. for next time we'll get the return of kate lockley oh, uh, interesting. so okay we we've not forgotten about her okay uh and we'll we'll see her again but that's that's after our next issue or issue <laughs> episode of buffy uh that we'll uh be talking about next all week. right cool well see you then